0: Welcome to Herb Talk Radio. I'm your host, Matthew, and my co-host
1: is Peggy Detmer.
0: Coming to you live from the Black Hills,
1: it's Herb Talk Radio.
0: So, uh, Peggy, how are the turtles?
1: They're doing good, Um, growing evermore. Um, you know, I talked a little earlier, today I was going to refresh three tanks and couldn't do that because we lost well water and lost electricity because of our snowstorm, and it's still what about 10 below out there right now
0: yeah my um, computer says negative 10 yep
1: negative yep, ten, and that's not counting the wind chill. <laughs> we are guest is laughing okay phil <laughs> and uh, and so uh yeah well yeah you're you're a floridian aren't you uh phil
2: i i refer to myself as a a naturalized floridian because oh. i've i'm not i was not born here but i've lived here most of my life and I'm sitting here in shorts and a t-shirt and it's like 78 degrees oh my and God. muggy as hell. So <laughs> my apologies. Oh,
1: geez. Well, oh, we really. have our guest today is Bill Wolf from Florida, who's quite renowned in the um, herpetology field. And we're
2: anxious to... Wouldn't say renowned, but thank you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and we're really anxious to get to know him and all of his ways and uh, educate us. And especially me, I'm I, the only snakes I have are the ones that are in, in our reef, well, uh, reef wilded yard where we have a lot of our local snakes breeding and eating the mice. So they don't come into our log cabin. And so, um, That's awesome. You know, and so uh, while I'm out gardening, I pick up a snake. Hey, Joel, look at this one. It's a, you know, it's a reticulated garter. And then, uh, you know, then we have the plains garter and then, you know, it's, and then I, I uh, so yeah, we're, we, I, I have fun. I was always, so I get to do what I love to do as a kid is pick up snakes and, but we don't keep them. You know? And, but so we we're I'm really anxious to hear all about your collections. And
3: yeah, stuff. absolutely.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, um, I'm almost gotten my, uh, my male corn snake to go with my female. Oh. So that that's, that's nice. I'm still doing this backwards. You know, this is my second time collecting a herb collection and i'm still freaking screwing it up so (laughs) And (laughs) and then like so this week i went to a a local person's house and she breeds berms uh she's got a pair of berms that's all she's got and she's got she's got a female retic she's growing up another female berm she's growing up and so like and a tegu. Oh man, tegus are way smaller than I thought they were. Just FYI, they are way <laughs> smaller than I thought they were. Their tail's really big, but the lizard itself is not not big.
1: I mean, the size of a cat, but the size of a cat. I mean,
0: it's smaller than a human child. Well, like that's... like a baby. It's smaller than a baby. I just had a baby. The <laughs> <A> tegu's <laughs> body is smaller than a baby. I promise.
1: <laughs> The size that I expected them from what I've seen online.
0: <laughs> well, uh, yeah, no, that's just crazy. I, I thought they'd be like this big, beefy, you know, foot off the ground type deal, four foot long, but no,
4: no,
1: <laughs> not at all. Okay, so, well, then what? So, okay, I already have a question. You're saying you were trying to get your male um uh snake in with your female snake, and uh, why don't you just put them together? You no, have to... I'm,
0: I've almost gotten. My okay. mail paid off,
1: oh oh, i see
0: okay. <laughs> i've almost acquired my mail well, that trip over there was real fun, and it, it made me lose all the focus that I talked about last week about uh what I should get, you know <laughs> all the planning that I, we talked about last week that's uh that's gone. all the planning went away um. Uh-huh so yeah besides all the focus for my whole collection after going through and admitting it on a podcast being kicked out the window this whole week um <laughs> after going and visiting a berm and then kelly is holding the berm right like because she has a mail and she's like man i just don't really have the space but i don't want to you know you know this you know the story uh <laughs> and kelly's holding this baby berm and i'm like oh my goodness It would be cool. But if we get one of these, then you're you're doing educational stuff like you have to, because that's the only reason we're getting this.
3: (laughs) And she agreed.
0: Well, we're still talking about it. (laughs) I don't know if I need to deal because it's not going to be her dealing with the snake. I mean, she's going to deal with it. Yeah. Take it out. Play with it. You know, take it to a show. Show it off to kids. But she's not going to scoop the poop. (laughs) That sounds like (laughs) our. So I don't know if I need anything that big. Plus, I'm like, let's get sand boas and I can get 35 of them. And, (laughs) you know, I can fit a lot of those in a little space, which is what I have. So,
2: (laughs) well, I I thought it was great when you said on uh, Bill Bradley's episode that you you caught her on Morph Market. (laughs) I did. Oh, man.
0: (laughs) That's great. Bill, for those who don't know, uh why don't you give a little bit of
2: your background story and
1: yes, Phil Wolf. Uh, your... um
2: Yes, my name is Phil Wolf, and I've been a herper keeper reptile amphibian enthusiast for as long as I could I guess walk, I guess you call it. Um I host a few different podcasts in the reptile world, um, as part of the herpetoculture network. I'm a co-host on a show called Snakes and Stogies, where we talk about cigars a little bit and snakes and reptiles for the most part, captive husbandry, scientific stuff, zoo stuff, you know, natural herping, whatever, all of the above. And then I'm also a co-host on another show called Venom Exchange Radio with the one and only Nipper Reed, and uh, we talk about all things in the the venomous community in terms of science and research, field herping. Uh, photography, captive husbandry, breeding, maintaining, establishing everything to do with venomous reptiles. So, and that's kind of me in a modern nutshell. Um, I've been keeping reptiles since, oh, geez, way to age yourself, right? I um, got <laughs> oh,
1: well, uh, the one on age here. I'm, I'm going to be 66, <laughs> so don't worry about
2: it. <laughs> well, I'm not getting any younger, mind you. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> oh geez. Well, I, j- I think just like it, most of us, you know, it starts with dinosaurs and then it goes to leopard geckos. Mom won't let you get a snake. You turn 18 and the whole world collapses. So <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much the, the gist of it. Um, but I did have really good opportunities in my in my younger years where right out of high school, um, I went to community college and I I needed a part-time job and I was working at pet. C- a, a local pet chain by me and there was this one shop called underground reptiles and everyone was like oh they're the best they're 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 the best you should go work for them you, you love this stuff and i was like no no I'm, I'm not good enough to go work for them you know I'm, I'm 18 whatever little did i know that it's just a normal shop with normal people you know so i was like you know what screw it i'll put an application in and they hired me and from there i got to work in multiple different reptile facilities, not just underground, import, export, exotics and uh you name it, I got to work with it. And at the time, uh I was not even interested in venomous really. I mean, I had a fascination for it, but when I was working at Underground's retail store, uh, it's just a retail pet shop, but they had venomous in like the corner of the store on display. And one of the guys that worked with me, he's like, "Hey man, if you're opening the store, you really should take some, you know, venomous classes, venomous hours and lessons." Because if you're opening the store by yourself and God forbid something gets loose or rattlesnakes on the floor or something, you need to know how to take care of it, you know, in the event that you're by yourself. And I wound up taking a couple, they had classes at the time to teach people for their venomous hours for the state license. And I got hooked. I mean, no pun intended. And uh, eventually, some years later, I wound up getting a license and through the whole import export thing and uh, working with hundreds of thousands of animals, countless species, hundreds of species. And I went up teaching the class. And I went up teaching the class for almost 15 years. So, I mean, that's a, a very abridged nutshell of me and snakes.
1: <laughs> okay. So, it, and uh, the Venomous, um, is there one particular um, one that you enjoyed working with the most? Uh,
2: for the longest time, I was an Elapids guy. Um, mostly, I fell in love with Australian stuff. And nob geckos, parentes, brown snakes, taipans, death adders, the coolest of the cool, you know? <laughs> and then as I got older, uh, I'm a big history buff, and I kind of fell in love with African history, and I started learning more and more about Africa. And a lot of the snakes that were imported during the days when I was doing import-export with some of these big companies, most of it was African, because most of the African countries were open, you know? So they would send hundreds, if not thousands, of of these different African venomous and african snake species and i wound up falling in love with the african continent and and all the animals that they had and one of my best friends marcus Andrade, he was working at a science institution and uh he wound up acquiring sun gazers uh that were uh confiscations from being smuggled from u.s fish and wildlife and from that i fell in love with the cordillidae genus and at one point you know i was keeping between marcus and i we probably had 15 or 16 different species of cordillas, including the sun gazers, and that just snowballed more african stuff and you know my main focus now i've done a lot of southeast asian snakes some north american stuff some south american stuff of course the australian stuff that i could afford because a lot of it's really pricey but my main focus now is uh, sub-saharan and mena or uh middle eastern north african species of venomous that that's like my thing right now and i have a handful of montane rattlesnakes i've got a handful of colubrids and a couple carpet pythons because you got to have stuff that you can actually play with and hold (laughs) and uh that's for the most part what i'm keeping currently
1: So do you breed the venomous or or is that not
2: allowed i don't i know no oh absolutely absolutely um i've bred a a handful of venomous a long time ago and i got out of the whole breeder thing for a while in, in the when I went up quitting working with animals like as an actual job, I kind of just got chilled out. Kept some pet stuff: couple couple cobras, couple colubrids. And now that I'm back into it, I started from the ground up with baby stuff. So I've got a lot of stuff that I've, uh, still has two three years before it'll ever get paired. Um, this year I'll be pairing rinkals. I'll be pairing serasti Sarastis, the desert horn viper. Um, I'll be pairing I'll be attempting to pair uh, Squam and jera, the, uh, African bush vipers. They're a pain in my neck, and I probably have two girls, but I'm going to give it another shot. Um, everything else is babies. You know, I got to raise stuff up. So that's that's going to be this season. I, I paired water pythons for the first time. Ooh, that's uh, really cool. So it's actually my first time attempting to breed pythons on purpose. Oh. <laughs> so I've gotten... Randomly lucky in the past. This time I'm like, no, I'm gonna do this. And uh, my one of my best friends, Billy Hunt, he's been guiding me on my my Python breeding course. And uh, he's like, dude, just put them together. It's the right time. Don't worry about it. Stop overthinking it. You know. <laughs> so I, I did, and we'll see if something stuck. You know, I didn't see any locks, but uh, fingers crossed on that one. So, but yeah, the goal is to eventually breed some stuff and, and have more fun and keep it going.
1: Cool. Now, now living in Florida and with. Um... Uh, the released and now invasive large snakes there do you participate in the harvesting or collecting of those invasives at all it just go out as, as uh, a herping fun
2: <laughs> well i'm gonna i'm gonna piss off a lot of people and say that first of all no i do not um i take pride in the fact that i've never seen a python in the wild oh. and i go herping okay. at least once a week that's oh, kind of crazy and there are a lot of, there's a lot of hype. And I'm not denying that the snakes, you know, aren't there. They're there, most definitely. But it is definitely blown out of proportion with the wow. news and the media. And even with fish and wildlife, you know, they do these these number, they, they do these mathematical equations, these algorithms. It says, well, we found four snakes on this one acre of land. So if we take that four and we times it by the, 62 million acres of this property well that's how many snakes there must be there and that's just not the case um and a lot of the excuse me a lot of the pythons that they're finding they're in key spots that they know are high dense populations and a lot of that is completely out of the naturalistic areas it's all water management land or game hunting land and and it's still protected naturalistic environment and they are a detriment to the ecosystem but it's nowhere near as Explosive as the media and Instagram has made it out to be. Okay. And, it, and I've got friends that, if I ask them, I say, hey, man, take me out tonight. They'll be like, all right, let's go. Because they find three or four at night minimum. But to me, they're going to the exact spot where they know they're going to be. And it's a problem, but it's blown out of proportion because of a lot of fear and because of a lot of politics. Yeah. So. People are going to get angry at that. Whoever listens to this, and <laughs> I'll deal with it. Well, you know? I,
1: I used to work for South Dakota Game Fish and Parks, mostly as an uh, for Custer State Park as a wildlife interpreter. So I to all the guests that came in there, I would explain wildlife management techniques, and, and mostly, you know, what I you know uh, for our degree, we were mostly taught um, habitat management, and we didn't really specialize on you know, particular species unless they were managed for a hunting species. But, um, you know, so I, I was really wondering what is going on in Florida, because usually, you know, if there's an invasive they or a, a predator thing, they offer bounties. And I just didn't know if Florida was offering bounties on those snakes.
2: Yeah, they, they do. They have what they call the, uh, oh, now I can't remember the name that I'm going to say it, uh, python. Oh, man, it's not, it's not Roundup. It's, it's something to the ex- equivalent. And basically, you can get a state python hunting license. And then if you win some kind of lottery for like hunting lottery, you can get gate access to water management land, which I think is kind of. I don't know. It's, it's very, very controversial, very, very taboo in that regard. But they'll pay you per snake. And I don't know if it's by the pound or by the length or whatever, but there's basically five or six guys that kind of corner of that market and then you'll get the handful of you know young kids that are just turned 18 and want to be a python hunter and they catch two or three and they're all excited but it's not it's nowhere near as explosive as the media has made it out to be and again i'm not saying that they're not there i'm not saying that it's not an ecological disaster because it is but it is nowhere near as impactful on the ecosystem as some other things that are a thousand percent human driven. Uh so oh,
1: what do they do with the snakes do they
2: they yeah. euthanize them okay
1: so yeah
2: they're, they're all every single one's euthanized it's actually illegal to transport them alive so uh the only way you can transport uh certain restricted python species in florida is if you have a particular permit that's for education and you would be able to have the animal for the educational show or seminar and you'd be able to transport it to and from said location but like if i found a burmese python in the wild and i put it in my car and took it home that would be illegal
1: wow I was going to say, yeah. you know, um, I'm all about feeding the poor and I just didn't know if they euthanize by chop or the drugs or, or what?
2: Oh no. Uh, I think state law says you have to use, and it's extremely barbaric. Um, I almost don't want to admit it on air. Uh, basically the equivalent of like ax and shovel and then like 22 handgun, but it has to be single shot and oh. it, it makes no sense. It's, it's. A lot of laws written by people that honestly probably shouldn't be writing the laws. A lot of people that, that don't really know what they're doing. Um, a lot of times these ecological surveys get handled by people that are really good at surveys and not really good with animals or animal knowledge. So, again, I'm not dis- I don't mean to discredit or talk, speak ill of these individuals, but something's got to change. Something's got to yeah. adapt. And, and, and it, well, it's not working the way that they want it to. Right, but they're making it look in the media like it's doing wonders.
1: Yeah, because so, I, yeah, I know, I just know that most state game and fish or parks and recreate whatever they call them, um, you know, they're always under budgeted. They always need more personnel, and so they open it up to the public to help. Yeah,
2: yeah. like there was a, a whole thing with the tegus where uh, every single tegu that was captured, they froze it. That's just how they euthanized them. And they had these massive, massive freezers at this university just filled with thousands of tegus. And uh, actually, I'm pretty sure Bill Bradley was the one who educated me to this. And it was run by U.S. Geological Service. And I was trying to think, like, why are people that studying rocks yeah. dealing with invasive lizards? And it, again, it was brought to my attention that it's not that they needed lizard experts. It's that they needed graph and statistic experts. Hmm. They needed scientists who were good with numbers and and populations and you know topography and that kind of thing to kind of map and track and and evaluate what these lizards were really doing in the wild
0: so so with tegu's coming up i i'm not hip to uh florida laws but with the tegu thing tegu's are now on the list for florida of not being a thing so in uh like the company that was down there that was wild catching Tagus, they're not allowed to do that anymore.
2: No, they, they changed that they changed that law right at like the zero hour that basically says if you're a trapper or nuisance animal remover, you can have a uh, endorsement on your license to basically be able to trap and euthanize those animals. Okay. So
0: But there's no in terms there's no like selling and shipping then. Nope. Okay. Not at all. That went away. Yep.
2: Yeah, and anyone who was in the private sector who had a pet tegu, they had, like, 90 days to amnesty register that animal with the state of Florida and basically microchip it. And then if you didn't, it was a crime, and the animal would be seized and euthanized.
1: Wow. Wow. Yeah.
2: So, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's probably thousands of people that have their pet tegu in their house, and no one's the wiser. But for the one person who didn't know that that law changed because it's not publicly posted in any you know, consistent, standard person forum, God forbid they post a picture of their child playing with their family pet, and it goes on Facebook, and Fish and Wildlife for Florida sees it, they're going to get a knock on the door. Wow. You know? And now with the iguanas thing, they basically made it illegal to have a green iguana as a pet. Well, that makes no sense at all. So you're telling me that if my child catches a baby green iguana in the backyard, and I want to put it in a terrarium in the living room as a pet, now I have to tell that kid no, it's illegal. You have to put it in the freezer. Come on, it's wow. crazy, and yeah. it's not going to do anything for the ecosystem. It's not. They've been You're there not for fixing like
0: seventy-five years. Exactly. But like, come on.
1: <laughs> well, here in South Dakota, you know, we, eat, we eat any excess animal.
2: <laughs> I, I'll tell you what, though, you, you kind of get sick of tree chicken after a while.
1: <laughs> tree chicken is that... <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, I like the taste of gator when I was down there in Florida for. I lived there for oh two or three months.
2: Nice, nice. I find that gator is all in how fresh it is and who cooked it. Because yeah. it's either really good or it's chewy and horrible. Yeah,
1: hmm. yeah, that's true.
0: <laughs> I need to join the Meat of the Month Club. <laughs> yeah, get on it, man. Get on it. So, um, I there was a post in our South Dakota Reptiles group that just blew the heck up. And I wanted to talk about it with our guests this week. And honestly, there isn't a better guest than you. And the actual subject we're messing with is venomous. So the, oh, all right. the, the post goes, are, and mind my terminology for venomous here, please, Phil. No problem. Um, our teenage daughter is looking to get her first snake and would like a hognose. Can anybody tell me where I could find one?
3: Excellent. Everybody Excellent.
0: Everybody in the group has steered her away from hognose. My comment on this, because I, I had to, I would almost recommend any species besides hognose. It's mild venom, maybe. Um, I, there's studies that show re- rear fang snakes can be just as potent, if not more, than front right. fang snakes. Uh, bald I pythons, species. Yeah, all on species. Yeah, uh, you yeah. got to do your research is essentially what I'm getting at here. Uh, the list goes on. A great species um, that don't carry any risk whatsoever. Uh, honestly whatever steak she is most excited about is the best one
2: yeah that's pretty good
0: so uh what are the risks of uh
2: hog <laughs> oh, <good laughs> snakes like well uh... it, <laughs> so i'll say this i get to ask this pretty frequently from friends who are not in our community saying hey my kid wants to get the first snake you know the wife finally agreed to it um What do we get? We're looking at a hognose snake, looking at a corn snake, looking at a king snake. Now, I think all those are great first pet snakes. However, I personally would, if you're going off those three, right, excuse me, I would go with the corn snake. And it's not because the hognose has venom, and it's not because the king snake's any worse or bad or whatever. I love king snakes. I have more king snakes than I have corn snakes. I would go with the corn snake because it's the easiest overall to get established, to get going. It's less nippy. The size is the right size. And it's, it's a, it's a native animal to the United States. Like there's a ton of stuff that's really cool about corn snakes. Now, if the kid is hell bent on getting a Western hog nose, then go for it. But I would be more concerned with the snake stressing out and not eating and doing hog nosy stuff than envenomating the child because it's very it's very simple for a parent to say hey do not let this thing start to bite you you know what i mean this is not a this is not a rattlesnake with a lightning fast strike <laughs> you know what i mean so it, it's like getting it's it's like getting mauled, mauled by a french bulldog like it could happen but you pretty much evade it um and again, that, that would be my, my thing, is that I would go with something besides the hognose simply because of the establishment of the pet. And then the venom would kind of, in my personal opinion, the venom would kind of be a, an afterthought. Um, but it is a proven fact that they are legitimate epistoglyphs. They have rear fangs. They have venom. in do d- secretions, however you want to phrase it. And there's no telling how your body's going to react to that. And as my, my good friend Ryan Cox always says, foreign protein is foreign protein. You have no idea if it's going to give you a rash or if it's going to make you go into anaphylaxis. And that's that's something that people need to be aware of. I don't know if that answered your question or not. No, that's but...
0: perfect. That's actually yeah, way right. better than I did. So,
1: <laughs> And I was so busy, I missed out on all that controversy on our list.
0: <laughs> There's like 40 comments on that. And oh. that's a lot for South Dakota reptile group.
2: <laughs> see, I, feel, I feel bad for that person because that person was just trying to do something nice and the internet has become such a
0: oh everyone was being nice and helpful no one was being rude they were just oh like, okay, oh okay. let's you know maybe you should get a corn snake or a ball python yeah, or, yeah. you know no one was no one was like are you stupid uh, or okay. anything like okay. that we don't well, have good. that here in our little
2: <laughs> well, local very communities. <laughs> it's very good i here. wish i could say the same of florida <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, you got so. way too many people down there. That's Oh yeah, that's yeah. what it's telling me.
2: I think I just somebody was joking around. I just checked. I think it's like 2.8 million people in just my county.
1: Holy oh, cow.
2: Yeah. It's wild.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. we don't have that here. And I think it's it's our it's our 35 below wind chill factor that keeps That'll do
0: it. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. makes Uh, me think about
4: leaving
1: (laughs) i have you know one set of friends moving to south carolina as soon as they can and sell their place and my cousins are moving down to new mexico it's like bon voyage we're tired of this (laughs) so yeah when you get older your joints hurt more
4: (laughs) i don't doubt that
1: i think i'm more allergic to humans than i am the cold (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. That's why Joel and I live in a log cabin in the woods near the Forest Service and very few neighbors nearby, so it's wonderful. But enough that when our electricity goes out we ask if anybody needs help and yeah, but yeah, we're the only reptile keepers that oh boy, <laughs> all our heaters and lamps and and yeah, everything goes down. So it's like uh but what fun! Reptile keeping in South Dakota. <laughs> so you were mentioning Phil that you had uh, you're a naturalized Floridian. Where, where else had you
2: lived? Well, so I was born and raised on a horse farm in New Jersey, and uh, oh wow, people find that interesting because uh, contrary to how it currently is, it, New Jersey used to be the Garden State, <laughs> and uh, I grew up on a, a hundred or two hundred acre horse farm about 45 minutes from Philadelphia, about an hour from Manhattan. So, and uh I very much was a farm boy and had to take the 45 minute bus into town to go to school and you know, McDonald's was 30 minutes away, that kind of thing. And my father's work actually brought us down here. We we would come down here for my father's convention uh one week every winter for his work and uh my mom fell in love with the place and my dad wound up having job issues in Jersey and he got offered to be a director down here for his work. And my mom was like, Let's go. Let's get out of Jersey. <laughs> and uh <laughs> and now I hate transplants. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it was, so it was-
1: uh and i suppose that 200 acres selling in new jersey went pretty well
2: i mean yeah well it's actually it was a lot more than that It was a family farm and it was my father's side of the family and it was basically a giant triangle and uh my grandparents were the top and my family was on the the left point and my aunt and uncle were on the right point and they all sold together and yeah so it was a shame though because i feel like I would never change my childhood for anything because i was wild and free i had hundreds of acres to go exploring and i was rarely inside you know me and the labrador went everywhere together and it would be so great to have that now (laughs) you know what i mean and to think like i didn't even know what herping was back then and like what i could have done now you know it's crazy so
1: yeah but yeah yeah, i've been down
2: here since 2000.
1: okay I think every South Dakotan grows up herping, you know, we either catch all the, the, the frogs and snakes and turtles that we come across. And, and, you know, when I grew up <laughs> in the sixties as in grade school, I mean, that's all my girlfriend. You know, it seems like all my girlfriends were always tomboys and we were always, you know, going out. And even as we got into, uh, our, Seventh, eighth grade. When all the other girls started going to the mall, we were still out with our nets.
2: Hey, that's that's <laughs> the best kind of ladies.
1: <laughs> so yeah, so it's uh um, now I, I saw on on, um, on one of your YouTube's or no, it was Instagram where you showed the ring that uh, you're recently engaged you're recently yes. married, or recently married. How far back did it go? <laughs>
2: <laughs> recently engaged. Uh, we got engaged in oh crap November. Wow. So. Yeah, and that was yeah. actually uh, uh, it was interesting. We we like to take a vacation that's kind of off the beaten path. And I told her, I was like, "Look, let's go somewhere where it's going to be chilly, so I won't be tempted to flip rocks." Right? <laughs> Little did she know that I was secretly bringing her to Salamander Mecca. So oh. we went to uh, Blue Ridge Mountains outside of Asheville, uh, in North Carolina, uh-huh. and. We didn't find a single freaking salamander. It was horrible. Oh. So, oh. but I gave her the ring. She said yes, and uh, that's all that matters, right? Brad. So
1: she's a salamander fiend, or no?
2: I mean, she's she's a herper at heart. She just never had like the venue or the uh, the friends or the camaraderie to do it. So I mean, oh. she she's the one who says, "Hey, you got to work? Yeah, I'm out at work. All right, let's go road cruising. No problem." So go what cruising? Road cruising
1: road cruising okay. road cruising okay. yeah <laughs>
2: you
1: guys don't on road cruise for snakes uh no uh, well, oh, but we end up we don't go out there to do it but on our way home after you know we've taken all our sunset shots we come home and we oh look at that really nice big bull snake across the road and we stopped to investigate it so I, I guess we do but it's it, it, it's it's just an afterthought after we've gotten our photography done for the day.
2: that's a, that's even better you, you killed two birds with one stone i love it that's good yeah. see we go out looking for snakes and then we're like oh wow look at that sunset let's stop and take pictures <laughs> so yeah. it's the opposite but she's cool she uh she got her first amphibian i got her a dumpy tree frog and oh. uh and then this past actually two daytonas ago i i we've been dating maybe six months or so. And I was like, look, there's this big reptile show convention, Daytona beach. It's our annual pilgrimage. We go every year. You gotta come. And I was like, this is me. Our first time going away together. I was like baptism by fire. Let's just, do it,' (laughs) you know, and she did. And she was a trooper, you know, she, she drank with the rest of us and held every snake that we put in her hand. And, uh, uh, with the us arc always has the silent auctions with the live auctions for for their fundraisers and she's walking around the table with me and, and all the herper kids and she sees a, a florida king and she's like i want that snake and i was like uh, put your name on the list it's a silent auction you know B- bid it up girl and there was another couple who was like tailing us and they would bid on the snake. And she'd be like, man, they just outbid me. I said, go go bid again, you know? So she writes her name again. And then Billy Hunt sees what's going on and Billy has like, watch this. Billy Hunt goes over to the, the little clipboard and he writes her name. So then that couple comes over and they go, how did, she, how did she write that down? And then my friend, Sean, he sees it too. He goes over and he puts her name so all these different people keep walking over to the clipboard but they all put my fiance's name which was the that was the best part she went up winning the snake and uh yeah actually billy won it for her at the very last minute he put his own name and he bought it for her and i thought that was great oh wow so uh so yeah so she's a she's a colubrid girl now got her hooked oh
1: cool cool yeah yeah joel and i are both you know uh scientists and artists and, and and reptile appreciate (laughs) it's <laughs> the best way to do it
2: it's the best way to do it yeah, yeah. your 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 partner has to be supportive in so many facets but when you're a herper it's great when they're a herper too <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah well so. he i i even convinced him to help me clean out slag ponds as they were drying up in our south dakota drought and he's out there being a trooper and we it was one pond we called it the labrea mud pits i mean oh if I you know dangerous for one person to be out there and then get stuck in a foot of mud and then a buffalo comes along oh, you know geez. so it's like <laughs> yeah not a good thing and and so we made sure there, there weren't uh well, we found out that the buffalo weren't in that area of the park in that pasture they were cut off from so we were like oh good we can if we get stuck in the mud that's, that's the only thing we have to deal with <laughs> but uh yeah he he was a trooper that was the first time he went out um uh turtle netting and and stuff and so you know he's been a snaker and so yeah so he's he's been christened
0: <laughs> that's good that's great let's kick it off into venomous all right you're your whole you got a whole bunch of rules down there and yeah i've i've considered getting venomous well ever since i've got into reptiles, surely um i i don't know they just look different nothing quite looks Nothing quite has the look of of a, a viper or even a, a cobra's like Dr. Loafman can talk about uh, falsies all day long, but they don't look like a real cobra.
1: <laughs> I've I've not heard of falsy cobras. <laughs>
0: false false water cobras. They're in uh Central Amer- or South America. <clears throat> and they kinda hood up but they don't like stand up and perch. I'll tell you and, what though. It,
2: it's still ominous when you've got like a seven foot falsie and it's all flared out and like turned to the side to show you the side of its hood. Like it's still ominous. I, I don't doubt it. Yeah. I had falsies well, I for a long them. time and they were a serious. And, name, and I'm, I'm short and, and chubby and I can't do stuff that's longer than me. I just, I can't not <laughs> anymore. I'm too rotund. <laughs>
1: So tell me about this falsy.
2: I mean, it doesn't have venom and it just looks like it. Oh no. Or they, the- so they, they have venom. <clears throat> it's the genus Um, The main one that we have in the pet trade is Hydrodynastus gigas. Um, and it's basically a, it's a rear fang venomous colubrid from Amazon, South America areas. And the venom is very cytotoxic because it's meant for predominantly amphibians. Um, I've had people tell me that a human bite is like getting bit by a large python and pouring vinegar in the wound. Um, I've heard people tell me that it gave them a really bad allergic reaction and they had swelling and itching and hives. Um, obviously Dr. Loafman knows way more about it than me cause he's the, <laughs> he's the hydro master. Um, but that's the gist of it. Uh, and it's one of those things where you do everything in your power to acclimate the animal to human contact let that animal get tolerant of you you know you're the cleaner you're the feeder and avoid the bite and you're fine and like i said i've had seven foot ones that were puppy dog tame you know put them around your neck pet them on the head they were super chill but there is still a capability of it doing some damage so uh, in florida they're not considered to be potentially hazardous venomous wise Uh, most states don't consider them uh, dangerous to humans on a venom level. Uh, you know, they don't, don't consider them venomous, you know, finger quote, but they still have a venom in there. You know, it's way, in my opinion, it's way more than a Western hog nose, but like we said, foreign proteins, foreign protein. You have no idea how your body's going to react to it. Yeah.
0: Well, Why we're yeah. on dips, We might as well talk about the other one that's in the pet trade a Boyga.
2: Yes. Now that is a whole nother animal. Um, boyga are way more venomous than people think and if it wasn't for a and i don't i hate saying a poor delivery system it is not a poor delivery system it's a brilliant brilliant delivery system however it doesn't work that well on us and anyone who says oh the you know mangrove snake has to chew on you that's nonsense if you've ever watched a mangrove snake grab something they open their mouth almost 180 degrees because they know they gotta get those back fangs into the item. So, that whole chewing thing, uh, obviously chewing makes it way worse, don't get me wrong, but I feel like people poo-poo the mangrove the way they poo-poo the hog nose, and that is very, very different.
3: Okay.
1: Interesting. I'm just gonna sit back and listen to you guys. Well, did, not...
3: uh, sorry,
0: dipset dips would be rearfanged snakes yeah. in general. Often, overall. often
2: referred to as opistoglyphs Okay, uh, I
0: didn't have that one, but <laughs> good, good for future knowledge.
1: Yeah, I, I've had too many. When I did bring a snake inside, I've had too many of them escape, and so no, no, I, I'm not allowed to have venom. <laughs> <laughs> so, I
2: don't well, fair enough.
0: <laughs> so, how do you keep your venomous then from escaping, Phil?
2: Well, (laughs) uh, lots and lots of procedures and protocols. Um, I've had people tell me that my venomous tutelage is boring, and I've had them tell me it's frustrating, and I've had them tell me that it's redundant and excessive, and I don't care because there's a reason why. And my good friend Henry Martinez, um, he always tells people, Phil doesn't teach a class on how to handle venomous. Phil teaches a class on venomous safety. It's a safety class. And whenever I take on a apprentice or intern or whatever you want to call it, someone who wants to learn about venomous and how to handle properly, everything starts with safety. And it is burned in your mind. Repetition, repetition, repetition. The same thing over and over and over again. Um, Everything down from how am I going to unlock this enclosure? Where is the animal? How many animals are there? What am I going to do? So like on a lot of my, my new students or apprentices or whatever you want to call them, I make them do checklists in their mind. And then I have them teach it to me. And they say, okay, we're going to clean this animal's cage, this enclosure. I want a step-by-step process as to how you're going to do it And you're going to tell me how to do it as if you're teaching me. And I ask the same question over and over and over again. Okay, what next? Okay, what next? Okay, what next? And when it gets to the point where they're like, I I, I don't know. Usually they've covered everything. And if they haven't, we're going to do it again. And we're going to do it again. And we're going to do it again. And we're going to burn this in your mind so that this repetition is second nature. It's muscle memory. You know, when I walk up to an enclosure that has one rock rattlesnake in it, okay? I go through the Rolodex in my mind. What am I doing? Am I cleaning? Am I feeding? Do I have all the tools that I need to do this? Okay, all my tools are laid out. Am I changing the water? Yeah. Do I have fresh water? Yeah, I have a bottle right there. Oh no, I don't have a bottle right there. My bottle's empty. I need to go refill it. So everything starts before the animal ever leaves the enclosure. Once I have everything mapped out how I'm gonna do it, now it's time to unlock the cage. But before I can do that, i got to find the animal in the cage. I have to visually identify the animal and make sure, okay, there's one snake in there. There's two snakes in there. There's five snakes in there. I need to find all that, map that out. Now that I know where everything is and I know what I'm about to do, now I can unlock the cage and proceed to go into it. remove that animal, extract that animal, and then keep going down the list of to-dos, if that makes any sense. And like I said, yeah, people complete. people think it's boring because it is. It's it's meant to be boring. It's meant to be meticulous.
1: Joel's showing me pictures of all the snakes that you bring up—the you know, rock rattlesnakes and this. Oh good, me- excellent. <laughs> oh good,
0: Joel's listening. <laughs> I that's, love it. That's great. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah I mean, Joel. Joel and I had an hour conversation where Peggy was trying to get us to shut up about snakes <laughs> the other day. <laughs>
2: And see, and see, I've been trying to learn more about turtles. I feel like I, I just, I want to know more and I, I, I don't know anything. Now it's, uh, I feel like now oh. it's the time of my life when I'm not going to have fish tanks, but I need to still learn about them. <laughs> so.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they're wonderful. I just, I love, I, like what you had mentioned in a, a podcast, Phil, that I was watching, that it, it's, the t- times have changed where more people are really concerned about the habitat yeah. and you know, what's what they're providing for the animal and that i guess that's the way it's always been for me i, I want the aquarium but i don't want a fish i'd rather watch a turtle i mean that's how you know it is for me you know and and then once you have the turtle well now i want to see them lay eggs and, and see the babies and, you know,
2: oh yeah it's crazy i was i was at Underground's retail store uh yesterday getting feeders and they had captive bred baby black wood turtles and oh, I was like, wow. those are so freaking cute. I oh. that's a turtle I could totally have. And I go on my phone and I start Googling and I see like the adult and then I see the size of the enclosures. And I'm like, Nah, Peggy wouldn't approve. Nah, <laughs> not for not for me. I don't wanna get yelled at
1: <laughs> They are the and, and I learned through Garden State Tortoise, you know, that you know, they've got the wood turtles and they've got oh, yeah. a, a a hybrid of a, a wood turtle and I remember um remember what it was crossed with, but, um, uh, they're so smart that they'll, they'll take their feet and they'll pound the dirt. And then the, it'll bring this, the, the worms up. Oh, and then wow. Yeah. I, that was a new one for me. And so, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not a no know, knows, knows all sees all about turtles. I'm learning, you know, I mean, I just enjoyed keeping painted turtles for a while there. I, when I lived in Tucson, um, met a guy that was breeding about every kind of turtle and had all these different ponds he created. He and uh, he also uh, was a commercial cactus breeder. And, oh, that's cool. Yeah. And so he had greenhouse found greenhouses, all these exotic cacti. And, and, uh, and it's, it's weird that most people who like turtles also love cactus. It's something about that glo- globular life form. Oh, or sure. Something.
2: That little spikes <laughs> on it, you know?
1: Oh so, yeah. So, I mean, I just loved visiting Bob. And so, I mean, just, you know, the first time I saw the black knob map turtle. You oh, know, it's like, awesome. That's a Stegosaurus, man. Yeah, for
4: sure. For
1: <laughs> so sure. That's the, kind that you should, that's the kind you should get because they the, the males stay small, usually about three to four inches. And oh, there
0: we go. There we go. That stays on yeah. nice my small requirement. Yeah.
1: Well, and they, and yeah.
0: That's the guy who's going to get a
2: berm. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good. Uh, uh,
1: yeah. He also wanted a to a tortoise i'm trying
0: to talk I, about i that. did not want <laughs> i mentioned it and if you're gonna get like a tortoise like uh, why not get a big tortoise uh well because it'll just go right through your wall yeah uh, <laughs> that's, that's
2: why i was i was working at a pet shop and this elderly woman called the shop and she said my my tortoise is is under my patio and he's too big and i need you to take him and so like, all right, what's your address? We'll, we'll come take a look. And, you know, went over there on my way home, and uh, this was a 200-pound spur thigh that had bored yeah. its way under the foundation of her house. And oh I wound up calling some other friends that have, like, Aldabras and Galapagos and stuff like that. And I'm like, look, I can't, like, I'm not going to take this thing. And they wound up, uh, this is kind of, it, it was done very humanely. <laughs> it was done professionally. These are animal lovers. But they wound up using toe straps. And they put toe straps around its shell and ratcheted it out of this burrow. And then the woman had to have, like, I don't even know how many tens of thousands of dollars to have the foundation filled back in. Otherwise, the house was going to collapse. So crazy. That is crazy.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I I like going small. (laughs) Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, that's like, I'm so my mom. Excuse me. My mom loves turtles. And she was always an aquatic turtle keeper. And she had some uh, sliders and she had some uh, chicken turtles. And she's like, you know what? I'm older. I'm done with the water thing. I think I want to get the tortoise. She was looking at like golden Greeks and some of the Russian stuff. And you know, I informed her about some of the issues with some of the import Russians. And, eh, you know, it gets a little fuzzy. And I was like, man, she should get into Connexus. And uh, my good friends, Jeremy and Tyler from uh, the Connexus Working Group, I'd spoken to them, and right when I was talking to them, Underground imported some spec eye. And so I bought her two spec eye, and she is absolutely in love with them. And from I, I've I'm convinced that if I'm ever going to get a tortoise, an actual tortoise, it has to be a hingeback. They're just they're just the coolest.
1: Yeah. They, I, And I see those. Um, I think, yeah, Garden State tortoise again. You know, oh, I'm yeah. a lot about Because, you know, when I lived in Tucson, we had the, um, desert tortoise there and you you, you had to qualify to be a foster home um for all the dislocated ones from the urban sprawl yeah so i had i had two of them and oh my god toby uh you know he was like this 14 inch tortoise and he would go and knock on the fridge and you know uh, (laughs) that's awesome yeah first he'd knock on the patio door as soon as you were up getting coffee then you open up the door he'd clip-clop across the tile and go to the fridge and knock on the fridge with the shell and you open it up and you give him a prickly pear fruit, you know, big purple thing. So then his face would be all purple.
2: That's awesome. (laughs) uh,
1: Yeah. I mean, what, a, I I mean, and then you go and snuggle with my dogs and, and uh, you know, and the dogs like it because they go, Oh, it's Tucson and and he's cool. And he liked them because they were warm. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. But uh, yeah, Bob inherited my, my
2: desert tortoises when I moved back here to South Dakota. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> That's so oh. cool. I found, uh, I was on a herp trip out in, um, uh, Oh man. Now was it lost Dutchman area, uh, right on the uh, border between like Tucson and Tonto national. And, uh, oh. we found, well, I didn't find it. My, my friend found it. She had stopped and took a knee to tie her shoe. And next to her knee was this little black golf ball, and it had legs, and it was walking wow. around, and it was a desert tortoise, and that was like one. of, That's probably still to this day one of the coolest animals I've ever found herping.
1: That had to that's be on stretch. my list.
2: Yeah, to go see. Super cool. I mean, it was like this big. It was tiny. Wow. So,
1: wow. so I, I'm sure that uh, Matthew wants to get back to venomous snakes.
2: <laughs> yes. Yes. <Yeah. laughs>
1: No, I always pull. It seems that I pull away the whole turtle. So well, that's I'm tired okay. of
2: snakes, turtles. It is. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like we we, we have the show Snakes and Sogies. We always talk about how we're going to have aquatics and alcohol. <laughs> uh, there you go, yeah, Peggy. right?
3: <laughs> okay. Just, um, I, I do
1: have some gin.
2: Nice, <laughs> nice. Break out, break out that monkey forty-seven. <laughs> uh. Oh, that's good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Only the best for the peg. All right, so so snakes. What, what do we got, Matthew? All right, so
0: it's kind of a stupid question. There's no stupid questions. Um, you'll,
2: you'll never know if you don't ask, bro. Well, no,
0: no, it's kind of a stupid. And remember, question. if I what,
2: cool um, I'll just make it up. It's cool.
0: Good. That's what I expect. Um. <laughs> That's what we pay you for. Nice,
2: nice. Uh, <laughs> Check, checks in the mail. <laughs>
0: yeah, you'll get it someday. Someday, maybe after the second episode. Okay, okay. <laughs> Duly noted. <laughs> um, no. So
2: we were talking about safety are stuff. Are you? And...
0: Yeah, yeah. Are you? So, like, does every does every venomous keeper then, or is there like a set of rules
2: specifically for Florida, oh, yeah. or is it just ours? No. So there's. Okay. There's a laundry list. Do um, you want to like start at the beginning, and we'll just kind of work our way into yeah, it? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Let's let's just say here, Phil, that I, which is true, I would like to get into venomous keeping, maybe. Okay. And and let's just say,
4: yeah. All right. So let's. I, let's... I'm new
0: to this. I can go get a prairie rattlesnake. Well, not right now because there's a whole bunch of snow on the yeah. ground. But <laughs> I could I could go get one. You know, and keep it in my house, and. Let's just say I'm in that thought process right now.
2: Okay. I will like, I'm will tell. i going
0: to get a venomous snake. What do I need to do?
2: Well, it's very different because you're not in Florida and you don't have to go through the rigmarole. But right.
0: let's say... The rigmarole is that boring part you were talking yes, about. Uh, yes, yes. So, which is the safety part, right. which is the very important part. And we don't have regulation on that, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't be practicing some sort of similar ethics across the board just overall yeah yeah but
1: the first thing well i guess you learn the safety and then you go for a license
2: well so or- in, let's learn all right all right so in in <laughs> other states or other states i can only speak for florida because that's really only the the true laws that i know right let's say you move to florida right And you decide, I want to get into venomous reptiles. I want to get my hours of experience. Um, The state has changed the laws many times over the past years. As of right now, uh, venomous reptiles in Florida are broken into four categories, which makes no sense at all. But we're going to go with that. The categories are Elapids, elapids, vipers, colubrids, and heloderma. To possess a license for each group, you need a thousand hands-on hours of each group. Now you don't have to have all four. You can only do, you know, viperidae, which are actually I think they call it crocodilidae because of pit vipers and everything else. But regardless, most people just get that license because that's what's mostly native to Florida. Um, there's no tier system. If you only want to do elapids, then you get yourself a mentor who has a licensed facility and you start getting hours and you only have an lapid license. Well then rock and roll. Good for you. But most people start with the Viper stuff because it's native, because most people have it because it's not as crazy to work with. Um, so first you have to find someone willing to take you in. Right. Because
0: that sounds like a challenge. Yes. I mean, I've thought about doing this here. Right. And there's, there's like one place I could go, you know, you might've heard of it. Reptile gardens. Uh, a few people. And have they, heard of it. Th- they do, they do, they do have a, they do have a program, I think, but that wasn't always there. And, and I have reached out to Terry in my lifetime anyway, right. to, to try and see, because this is again, something that I've wanted to pursue.
2: Sure. And I think that's the best way to go about it. Uh, not only are you a local, but you also have friends who are friends with friends and that might help you gain access to said installations um, institutions excuse me uh, so that's your first thing is you got to find a mentor um, in the past it was not as and how do I phrase this in the past active license holders were less apprehensive because the risks weren't as high and by risks I mean criminal fines and Lawsuits, you know what I'm saying? Okay. Um, it is a massive liability to bring a stranger into your home and let them handle venomous reptiles. Right now, I was lucky because I had a retail establishment that was licensed and bonded and insurance and insured. Excuse me, to have this, so I taught out of that facility. I didn't have to bring these people to my house, and some of them I did. You know, I got to know them, I got to trust them, they became friends. Hell, they became family and that's a whole other story for a whole other time but the first thing you got to do is find a mentor who is not a lunatic (laughs) and i recently um a a guy reached out to me on instagram he's like hey man i listen to the podcast um i live in texas and i don't have anyone near me who's a venomous keeper but there is a couple guys that are about two hours away from me the problem is I get kind of sketched out when I go there and I tell them flat out, look, man, if your gut tells you something's funky, then your gut's probably right. You know, if you see someone do something that you feel is unsafe, it probably is. And if they tell you, no, man, it's fine. It's fine. Well, that's not good either because I will never tell someone, oh no, it's fine. Just do that. No, I will explain to them why I feel or why they should or why it might XYZ, right? Because at the end of the day, uh, not only do I need to trust that person, they need to trust me. And at the same time, I have to elaborate and be articulate as to why they're doing the things they're doing so that they truly know I am doing this because this can happen. I am doing that so that this doesn't happen and vice versa and so on and so forth. So finding a mentor who's willing to do that is a very, very big deal. Once you do that, Then you start with the safety and you start with procedure and protocol and you burn those things in your mind to the point where they become a second nature. It's muscle memory. And before long, you're just going through the rhythms, right? So when we were doing the class at, at, at underground's retail store, um, I used to call it the 10 week program. And this is how I kind of weeded out who really wanted to work with the animals or who just wanted Instagram photos. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, oh man, I want to hold a cobra so I can post it on Instagram. Well, that's never going to happen. So if you want to go home, feel free. <laughs> um, and I'd say 10 weeks, and sometimes it's longer, but for the first three or four weeks, they're just watching. They're not doing nothing. They're watching and talking. And I'm going to ask them questions. And I'm going to direct them, and they're going to direct me, and then myself or someone else is going to remove the animal. Then that person does the cleaning, and the whole time they're just watching. And this is doing two things. This is weeding out the people that aren't really serious, and it's also building anticipation of the people that are serious. And it's gonna make them wanna, wanna do this more. And then after about three or four weeks, then you've got about five or six weeks where the same thing happens, but now they're cleaning the cage. And while they're cleaning the cage, you're teaching them more stuff about layout of enclosures, uh, how to remove animals from enclosure, how to put animals back containment, medical stuff, uh, sanitation and hygiene, all that jazz everything that you can cram in five six weeks because you 're never going to retain it all, but if you gather most of it, you can still retain more and retain more and retain more as time goes on and then by the tenth or eleventh week now we 're going to start actually learning on hook manipulation and and snake manipulation in terms of removing the animal and working with the actual animals and it is helpful to learn on harmless stuff, on how to use a hook, but it is not the same, and it will never be the same, as actually doing with a venomous animal. Because in the back of your mind, you know it's harmless. You know nothing bad can happen. And I know that sounds kind of messed up, but it is a, a very definitive mindset that you need to be in because now the game is on, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, I also look for people's tells to see if they're doing this for the right reasons. Because I've had people that wanted to do it because of the thrill. They wanted the adrenaline, they wanted the excitement. And that is not why you do Venomous. You do Venomous because you love animals. You do Venomous because you love reptiles, because you're fascinated with animals and the natural world. You don't do it for a rush. If you want a rush, go buy a dirt bike. If you want a rush, go ride a roller coaster. Go skydiving, You know, get, get a crotch rocket, whatever you don't do that with a living creature that doesn't know that that's what you're doing. It. You know what I mean? Did that, did yeah. that, does that make sense? Yeah. I haven't actually, I haven't talked about this stuff in a really long time. So forgive me if I'm you know pulling, <laughs> pulling at different pieces tonight. Um,
1: this was something Good. that was forced on me. Um, uh, one day working with the forest service, right. we, were out, we were out doing some, um, tree marking transits and, and one of my marking partners was extremely, Extremely scared of any snake at all. Okay, and we were up in a higher elevation; didn't expect to encounter any rattlesnake up there. But lo and behold, he's you know, and we're all stepping on sticks, and those sticks can you know, jump up and, you know, you know, and and hit your leg as you snap them. Oh yeah. You know, you just, well, all of a sudden, you know, um, a timber rattler, you know, comes up, strikes Carrie. Well, not, um, luckily it, he just gets, um, into, uh, his fangs onto Carrie's jeans right above his boots wow. and he starts jumping around and everything. And I, we're all thinking this snake has struck him. No yeah. one would talk. Oh my God. Somebody has got to get the snake off him. I've never handled anything venomous, but I knew how to, you know, I, I watched enough things where I knew how to grab a snake. Close to the head, and and, and I, I've, I've watched enough milking things, right? Sure. I said, okay, I'm going to do it.
4: Until
0: <laughs> <So laughs> you haven't.
1: So I, I, I reached, you know, I, you know, I go hold still. It took two guys to hold him so still. It so yeah, it's stuck on his oh, pants. Yeah, stuck on his pants. Oh, jeez. And it, it it couldn't free itself, and 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 you know, we were hoping that's what would happen, right? But it, it wasn't. And um and so then and he was already, you know, kind of going into mental frenzy and so I, I i reached out like i was going you know in the, in the milking position you know grab the head of the snake pulled it off of his jeans grab the body of the snake and tossed the dang thing and i'm just like oh my god i can't believe i just did that and i go yeah. okay carrie roll up you, you know roll up your pants so and least you know because he was just he was in hysterics and i you know, we have to see if he's bit you, you know, he, did he bite you? And he's, uh, he couldn't even talk. And, and so I expected him to roll up his pants. No, he dropped his pants in order for us (laughs) to to check him out. I go, okay, okay, okay. You And, and so, you know, luckily there wasn't a scratch, there wasn't anything. And so I go, okay, we don't have to come down off this mountain, get him to the hospital. But it's like, you know, was I being stupid? (laughs) Because I mean, there no one would do it. And we had to get that snake up there before he would get bit if he hasn't already got bit. I mean, it was one of
2: those. Look, hindsight. So that is a good question. Uh, hindsight's 40-40, right? So what you just gave me is a really messed up scenario. <laughs> I can say this with full confidence. At the time, you did what you thought was right, and it worked. It may not have worked.
4: Yeah.
3: And
2: I, I'll never tell someone, don't do this or don't do that. You do what you have to do. But you being a scientist, you being a naturalist, you being the, the woman that you are experienced with what you're experienced with, even if it's just watching people do the, what you call the milking position, right? You had the <laughs> wherewithal to know the mechanics of it, right? And therefore, you acted appropriately. Um, I'll never tell you that you did it wrong. Because you were you were the one who did it and you were the one who was there. It's a what-if scenario. You'll, you'll yeah. never know what you could do. You'll never know what happens until you're in those shoes. So like with, with Venomous training, we always tell people you can't assess a what-if scenario because there are Navy SEALs that train for the Special Forces stuff their entire lives. And when push comes to shove, they shake like a chihuahua. You, you don't know what's going to happen until you're there. So... With venomous training, we always talk about the five things, right? Now, obviously, snakes are more than capable of doing more than five things. But we just, we, we summarize it with five, right? So if, if you learn all five, then you're golden. You don't know if the snake's going to do one, two, four, six, one, a one and a two and a three. You have no idea what it's going to do. But if you're prepared for all five, well, then you're good to go. And for you in that scenario, you were prepared for all five. You may not have been doing it right, but you did it and it's done and everything was fine and it worked out fine. So well, I, I mean,
1: I was, I was... big bull snakes. And so, and I didn't want to get bit by any of those either. And so <laughs> I, and so I, I, you know, I knew how to grab the head of a, you know, a snake with a three inch head, you know, but I mean, this thing was only, I, I would say he was about you know 20. 26 inches
3: yeah.
1: you know so it's like okay I, I you know as i'm as i'm approaching i'm like no one else is gonna do this and and uh you know as i was approaching i was like i know i need to not let it wrap around me you know so you know i have to grab it in two locations so it doesn't wrap and it doesn't have room to bend and strike and yeah <laughs> and,
2: and like i said I, I i can't i can't judge you you did it and it worked but just be mindful for the next time this happens that there's a high probability that it could have seen you out of the corner of its eye and it could have tucked its face in, freed itself, and tagged you. You know? Yeah. Or better yet, oh, yeah. you could have you could have grabbed them by the head and it jerked, which made you jerk, and now you yeah. stabbed your friend with the snake.
3: Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So there's a there's a
2: lot of scenarios that, that that could have played out and you guys got very lucky and it was handled yeah. the way it was handled.
1: And so, now I'm going to have a nightmare tonight. <laughs> nah,
2: you're good. You're good. You're good. But yeah, I think, I don't know if I would do it, if I don't know if I would have done it exactly like that, but I really can't answer it because I'm not in those exact, I'm not in that exact situation. It's very, very difficult yeah. to answer.
1: Okay. How would you have done it?
2: <laughs> how would I have done it?
1: Yeah.
2: Um, yeah. I mean, was it, was the guy standing up? Was he laying down on the ground? Was the snake stretched out? Was the snake, you said it was about what two foot? He
1: was dancing around like he was around a bonfire and, 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 and at, uh, yeah,
2: but he, he so was, he had to have stopped at some point for you to grab him, right?
1: Uh, it, it took two people to hold him to stop him from jumping and dancing and trying to, yeah, get rid of that snake. Yeah. And, and, and as they were holding him, he was still trying to kick, and and so then, and uh, I think a third person grabbed the leg he was trying to kick, so we could stabilize him, so I could wow. grab the snake. I mean, it was a mess. It was like trying to remove a snake off a kicking horse. I mean, wow, it
2: was, yeah, that's a yeah. that's a bad scenario. Um,
1: yeah, I don't know.
2: I mean, I've also not to sound like, how do I phrase this? I always have a snake hook, and if I don't have a snake hook, I have a really yeah. good stick, and I yeah, probably. I mean, I probably would have used some kind of hook or stick or something and put it in its mouth to kind of flip it off because not to sound inhumane, but I don't care if it breaks its teeth, they're going to grow back. So if I put a shove a stick in its mouth and just whip it real quick or use my hand, grabbed it, pinned it, hooked it, I have no idea. It, it's it's a scenario that you physically can't answer unless you're there, you know?
4: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So
2: I'm sorry <laughs> if that wasn't more helpful. <laughs>
1: Well, yeah, and, and you'd think that, you know, we were up in an elevation where no one had reported timber rattlers before, and yeah. and, and, it, and it was cold, and he stepped on it, and then it, you know, and, you know, it didn't rattle, it didn't warn, you know, and so it was one of those situations where a, a perfect storm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that did we, uh, okay, now getting back to safety thing, uh, how far into the steps does Matthew have to go now to?
2: Oh, so, all right, um, so, yeah, so he's, <clears throat> Excuse me. He's um he's now past his watching and cleaning poo stage. Now he's gonna learn uh physical mechanics of snakes, how they work in terms of manipulating them with a hook. And we're gonna use we, we could use some harmless stuff. It, you know, if you've got harmless stuff that's of appropriate size and of appropriate body type, because you're gonna handle a tree viper completely different than you're gonna handle, say, a big rattlesnake. And you're gonna handle a big rattlesnake completely different than you would a slender elapid, like a cobra or a crate so we're going to learn how those different body types are affected with our technique through tools and we're going to do that over and over and over again and then you're going to take your snake hooks home because you're going to have more than one you're going to have at least two and i tell people to start hooking stuff around their house and everyone starts with a cell phone cord And they start with, uh, you know, uh, 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 their, their, uh, what's that bottle, the reusable bottle that all the people bring to the gym, nylon, not nylon, Uh, you know what I'm talking about, like the, Uh, the two liter, one liter bottle that's reusable, that they fill their water with, use, use your hooks to pick up the bottle. And then I tell people to pick up couch pillows, see if you can pick up a couch pillow with snake hooks. And then, oh, you can do the couch pillow and now do a bed pillow because it's floppy okay, you get the bed pillow. Now you're going to try and do your TV remote control. Can you pick up your TV remote control with two snake hooks? And they're going to keep doing this and keep doing this and keep doing this. And that's your homework is you're building the technique and the muscle memory on how to use these two snake hooks as extensions of yourself. And there is a right and wrong way to do it. There's a right and wrong way to hold it. There's particular fulcrums in your hand and and muscle placements of your fingers that you're going to use to manipulate these hooks and make them extensions of you. And once you start to to get the hang of that, then we're going to put something like a pygmy rattlesnake on the end or a cottonmouth on the end or a copperhead on the end. Something that is a little less toxic, but still an actual venomous snake that is potentially dangerous and or lethal because the mindset has to be there. You can do it with a corn snake till the cows come home. There is no venomous snake on the planet that acts like a corn snake. Nor will you have the thought in your mind like, oh, it's just a corn snake. If it goes up the hook, if it slithers up the snake hook, who cares? It's a corn snake. So all that goes out the window. And now that you've done that, we're going to keep the cleaning. We're going to keep the repetition. We're going to keep the safety protocol. We're going to keep burning into your mind and burning those muscle memories as well. So they become second nature. You know, we talk about gross motor skills and fine motor skills. You know, I say, uh, uh, if I ask you to look at me, but point at the lamp in the corner, you can do that, right? And I say, all right, now look at your finger. Where was your finger? Was it on the lamp? Eh, it was close, right? Well, that's your gross motor skill. You were born with that. You've adapted to that. You've learned to do it your entire life, and it's second nature. You don't have to think about it. Now, if I tell you to look at me, point at the lamp, now rotate your wrist uh, 92 degrees counterclockwise, well, now you have to think about that. You have to think, okay, I'm turning it to the left, and how far does my wrist have to bend, and what muscles am I using to bend my wrist, and so on and so forth. That's your fine motor skills. So we're gonna use your gross motor skills to, to basically make those snake hooks extensions of you. Then we gonna use the fine motor skills to actually manipulate those snake hooks and, and position them on the body of the snake so that everything is balanced, everything is calm, everything is, 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 is liquid, right? And we talk about how venomous snake handling is not breakdancing. It's a waltz. It's a ballet. Everything is smooth. Everything is elegant. You know, we make the Bruce Lee joke. Uh, Bruce Lee joke. Like, oh, be the water. You know, it, it's it's very much an elegance, right? And you may have to go fast, but the goal is to not have to. The goal is to be smooth and seductive and relaxed. Because if you're relaxed, then the snake's relaxed. Now there is times when you may have to throw down the cardboard, the cardboard, and start breakdancing, right? But the goal is to not have to do that. The goal is to keep everything relaxed and calm. And then you just keep on going through the motions and you train and you train and you do that repetition and the repetition and the repetition. And again, I'm giving you guys a a very summarized, abridged version of this, right? But prior to them changing the laws, it took the average uh, venomous apprentice about two years to get a license. Now with the hours restrictions and all the regulations, it's taken them close to four. Oh yeah, Wow! now there is a certain tests that you can take that knock off some of the hours, but it's still going to take you at least two to three years to get to that point. So, I mean, and we're talking about the average person. No one's doing this for 10 hours a day, six days a week. You know what I mean? You're doing it for five hours here, maybe six hours there, maybe two hours on this day. And you do it when you can. You know, it depends on your schedule and your mentor schedule.
0: A thousand hours is a lot of time.
2: Right, especially uh, with heloderma. You'd
0: have to do that like eight eight hours a day for like four months.
2: Right, and the law says you're only allowed to log up to 10 hours in a 24-hour period. Uh, okay. So you can't work more than 10 hours a day. And here's the no, thing. You-, you may have 100 snakes in that room. You may be done by the end of the day. Depends on what you're doing. Because you're not changing the water bowl necessarily every time. You're not feeding every time. You may be spot cleaning every time. So. Those things take time, right? And now the way that they want you to log the hours is we use a a key system, right? So it says, okay, from on January 1st, from 10 a.m. to 10.30, I did A, B, C, F, Q, Z, which was uh, remove the animal from its enclosure, cleaned its poo, changed its water bowl, dropped fed a prey item, replaced the animal, locked the enclosure, and there's my key, right? Well, it's going to take you a very long time to do that. And the time has to be stretched. So it's physically impossible to do it rapidly, which I think is a great thing, because again, it weeds out the, the people that aren't really serious, but at the same time, the state is doing a lot of things to weed us out. It's doing a lot of things to make people say, eh, it's not worth it, or "Uh, I don't wanna do this anymore, or nah, I don't wanna go through all that. And it's working, sadly.
1: Yeah, I have no idea. I mean, you know, we talked on a previous show about the turtle laws, and even uh, I kept being referred from one person to the next who, next who couldn't answer the question, according yeah. to what I was reading. I go, oh, well, we don't know. You know. that. That's a different interpretation. I go, but I said, but it does follow the wording. And so it's just, uh, you know, I, I, I never looked into what our state is on you know, the possession of venomous and things so it sounds to me that a person would have to go work at reptile gardens for a while
0: (laughs) well that's there really should be there really should be something but it shouldn't be so bad that the people who are doing it already who like doing it and enjoy doing it and are here for it want to leave it right and that's that's the issue is that when
2: you get too political and i i don't want to get political i hate getting political on on podcasts but it comes to a point where you're okay giving them the inch, but then they take the mile. Yeah. You know, and like the the running joke with Florida is that it was supposed to be a hundred hours per group and somebody fat fingered an extra zero on the keyboard and made it a thousand and the commissioners <laughs> were like, eh, keep it. Uh, so and and yeah. honestly, it would not shock me if that was true. It wouldn't. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, I yeah. Well, so
0: you said that you everyone should have two snake hooks. Why? No, I said why everyone should that? have a
2: minimum of two snake hooks. Of two snake
0: hooks. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry for. Sure I, may, I
2: may have said I may have said everyone should have two. I'm just I'm just jerking your chain. <laughs> at least two. At least two. <laughs> a minimum. At least two. A minimum of two. In my personal opinion.
1: And they should be a foot longer than the snake
2: is. <laughs> see, and that's the thing too is that I think that if you're going to start out if you're going to get a midwest hook or you're going to get a a get hooked venom life gear hook which are the two brands that i fully fully endorse um get a 30 inch and a 40 inch because although a 30 inch may be easier for most people to manipulate it puts you that much closer to the snake so when we talk about double hooking snakes and positioning of the snake in relationship to the hooks the snake is going to be perpendicular to the hooks but the hooks are perpendicular to you, so therefore the snake is parallel to you, right? Right. But you can't have the snake parallel to you because now you're still within strike range, regardless of how long the hook is. So there's a certain angle of approach. There's a certain manipulation. Tail closer to you, head farther away, so on and so forth. And now we're also talking about guiding hooks. Are we guiding the hooks in the same direction? Are we following a, a, a hook path, right, in relation to the snake's body? And is the snake staying still? or is it moving? Are we treadmilling the snake? Is the snake riding the hook? Is the snake just falling over? Better yet, is the snake turning around and going up the hook, right? So when we talk about snake mechanics and like body mechanics of serpents, right? Certain body types have traits that do X, Y, and Z. For example, most long skinny stuff, we have what's referred to as the rudder technique. So the rudder technique is like the rudder of a boat. If I turn the rudder to the left, the boat goes right. If I turn it to the right, the boat goes left. Well, the snake's the same way, but instead of it being left and right, it's up and down. So if I have two snake hooks, right, and I break the snake into thirds, and we talk about rule of thirds, right? At the, between the first third and the second third is one snake hook point. Between the second third and the third third is the second snake hook point. So now I have a seesaw effect, right? The head's on the left, the tail's on the right, vice versa, however you want to imagine your mind. Well, if that snake's tail goes down, it's naturally going to want to go up or forward. If the snake's head goes down, it's going to feel off keel and it's going to back up. So it may back up and fall off the snake hook, or it may go up and climb itself. So using that rudder technique, I can actually direct the snake to go forward or backwards or balance, depending on what I want that snake to do. And again, we're talking about a snake that's actually cooperating and not flailing around like a fish out of water. So providing you have a standard snake, it will do that. And that rudder technique will actually work. We also talk about grounding rules. So what's grounding rules? Grounding rules is where I'm taking the first and or second third of the snake and I'm keeping it on the ground. And this does not mean tailing. I'm talking about still using hooks, right? And the point is that most snakes that are terrestrial, they wanna be on the ground. And if you pick a snake up by the tail and let it dangle, well, not only are you messing with its vertebrae and its organs and everything else, it's no different than me grabbing you by the foot and hanging you upside down. It's the same thing. You're going to want to go up. You're going to want to see what's holding my foot. How do I get my foot out of this thing so I can plant myself back on the ground? So the snake's going to do the same thing. If its body type is physically capable of going up itself, well, it's going to go up itself. So what I do is we keep the first third and or second third on the ground. So now it feels comfortable, it feels like it's level. And now it's the equivalent of me picking you up by your ankle, but you still have one foot planted on the ground. See where I'm getting with this? So these body mechanics are things that take time to learn and we talk about this repetition, burning it in your mind. And we talk about the biomechanics of the snake will literally make or break your handling experience. And if you don't learn these things, in the right sequence you're going to put the horse before the cart and that goes back to repetition 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 starting with one and going all the way down to 10 starting with a and going all the way to z and just over and over and over again and you can't do a lot of this stuff with harmless snakes because it's not going to react the same way the body mechanics are very different yes a cobra is long and skinny Yes, a corn snake is long and skinny. The corn snake is going to wrap its tail around the hook on the left and then start slithering up the hook on the right. A cobra can't physically do that, so it's not going to. So that's going to be the thing: is not only learning the mechanics of snake body types, but learning the different species, the different genera, the different the different clades of animals and their body types and their bio their body mechanics. Excuse me. Forgive me if I was rambling. That was a little long winded. No. no.
1: I, I'm I'm following the whole, whole thing. I just can't picture myself doing it.
3: <laughs>
0: this will be a good one for Joel.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> um. So, would you say that there's a an easier clade to start with, or I mean, I know Florida doesn't have that option. Well, but uh, I
2: would say that North American stuff. Let me rephrase that: North American pit vipers are great to start working with. Most of them will ride a hook. Most of them, and I mean just a single hook, you'll just scoop it up and move it across the room. However, a lot of them don't. And some of the ones that ride a hook five times in a row, 10 times in a row, that 11th time, it may say, you know what? No, Mr. Matthew, I'm not going to ride that hook. I'm going to fall on the floor, watch me. And yeah. it gives you the option to have that different experience, and at the same time, native so most places god forbid something happens most places in the united states will have an appropriate antivenin because they're all right. native and we're lucky that the two main antivenins that we use in the united states crofab and enavipmen they do almost every species in north america no dang yeah so if you get bit by god forbid you get bit by a snake in florida it's the same antidote as a snake in arizona Oh, now, I didn't know talking that. about coral snakes, that's totally separate, but in terms of pit vipers, it's a uniform antideventant across North America. So a lot of times I'll tell people, get a, get a, a copperhead, get a cottonmouth, get a, honestly, a prayer rattlesnake is, is, is pretty good, but no one should be getting a venomous snake without first having extensive training and mentorship. That's just a flat out.
3: I can
0: understand <laughs> yeah, no, no, it makes sense completely <laughs> yeah the the reason for this episode is
2: and and don't get me wrong there's there's a there's a lot of people out there that are extremely knowledgeable and they do their homework and they have a great head on their shoulders, and they may not need to have as much training as other people, and I feel like those people should not be apprehensive if they live in a state where they can buy a venomous snake over the counter and they want to go for it, go for it. But do your homework. Take the time. Find a mentor. Learn what you can. And your greatest ally is distance. Keeping yourself distant from the animal is your saving grace. If you're far away, you can't get hurt. Do you
0: you think there's I know there's a correlation, but more uh, like someone who's already kept let's say someone's kept snakes for 10 years and now they're going to get into venomous versus someone who's just coming in and are like yo i want that gaboon viper man
2: so you're so you're asking two, like, you're asking like two different does, questions
0: right yes i am so I want you're both
2: so yeah. the person who's kept venomous for a decade or excuse me the person who's kept harmless snakes for a decade and says you know what I've been doing this for a decade. I am ready to do venomous. I've done my homework. I think it's time. Rock and roll, do it. But you have a shitload, pardon my French, of bad habits that you don't know you have. Oh, good. And some, of the, some of the best handlers with venomous are guys and gals that never kept the snake before. Because wow. they learn procedure and protocol that they didn't know. And if you have a sliding glass enclosure with your corn snake and your king snake and your, you know, carpet python, and every time you want to open that cage, you take your hand and slide it open. You do that with a rattlesnake once, you're done. That's it. The minute you slide it open, it's going to see the heat signature and wham, go right for you. And that's not because they're evil, aggressive monsters. It's it's feed response. Every time you open the glass, it's usually because you have a hot rat on the end of a set of tongs, you know? And again, I'm giving very summarized, abridged versions here. Yeah. Um, so the, the, some of the... Every situation is <laughs> different. Right. It's very thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of what-if scenarios, right? Um, so that being said, some of the best handlers were people that never kept snakes because they didn't have any of those bad habits. But someone who has been working with reptiles for a decade or five years or, hell, just a few years, as long as they're aware that they have those bad habits, they can make an effort to call those habits Does that make sense
0: yeah, yeah yeah and as long as they're continuing doing research like you know listening to uh, venom exchange radio there you go and and that sort of stuff yeah you know yeah yeah i'm okay i'm with you now yeah that yeah. was that was a good a good question yeah and, and
2: the biggest thing is sitting back and thinking outside the box thinking if like think about how I normally take care of my harmless stuff. Is anything that I do with that harmless snake, with the exception of touching it, going to be dangerous or potentially dangerous? And the answer is usually very much yes. And that's the hard part: is is undoing those unknown bad habits.
1: That's so, so, Matthew, um, is there anyone outside of reptile gardens because you know you've known our local reptile group? far longer than i have who does have a permit here in the black hills who is keeping venomous
0: um not really there's not much of it and i'm sure you know it's been eight ten years since terry's been on a podcast longer uh, something like that but when terry was on the podcast he said if I if I'm remembering correctly, he said something along the lines of, "Yeah, no, pe- we have people locally who keep stuff, and they we stock ant- extra anti-venom just for them. That's cool. Like, like who just keep their own stuff in their own house. So apparently, there is some people here. It's really quiet. And, uh, and uh, I was actually going to say
2: that. Which is what it is? Yeah, I was actually going to say that with the advent of social media, we learn so many people. I mean, you guys, I would have never met you guys if it had not been for social media. Let's be real. And it's, it's a blessing, right? But it's also gone to show me that there's a ton of people under the radar and they're legitimate, licensed, kosher folks, but they just stay under the radar. They don't want people knowing that what they have they're not in the limelight at all and these are some of the, like the biggest best breeders in the world but they're just they're very reserved and they don't want people to know and you know they they give the snakes to their friend to sell or they everything's word of mouth you know it's who you know and that kind of thing so it would not shock me if there is a bunch of licensed people by you and like it's just not talked about
0: yeah it would it would make sense because we are we are really close to a nice big facility sure who apparently the i mean he's he seems nice i've talked to him once i caught an erodia in the black hills if you peggy that's a that's a banded water or a water snake i don't know i think it's just a common water snake is what it would be uh here uh it's not native here
3: yeah i uh
0: the the closest place it is native to is the central part of the state and it is it's got like a little itty bitty slice of the state Mm. um right around the river in the southern part around the river that's it and this nerodia was like wow it was it was huge and i thought it was a i thought it was a rattlesnake but then i went to the classic uh if you're from south dakota you know this saying uh or you should anyway if it doesn't have a round tail or if it has a round tail it's venomous if it doesn't have a round tail it's not and that's 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 it's very true uh rattlesnakes have a round tail that's the only venomous snake here uh so if it's got a pointy tail you're good so that's that's what i went off of Nice. <laughs> nice. was it the right decision uh yeah in that case uh, I didn't let it get close enough to bite me, <laughs> but I sent pictures right. to Terry and then I did the, well, I'll just release it right back where I found it.
3: So and then, it Terry yeah. called,
0: then Terry called me and he's like, dude, I'm like, yeah, no, I know it's a water snake. I know it's not from here. Yeah, I just let it go. And he's like, man, I would have taken that thing.
4: Oh. <laughs>
1: well, that's just well, like, I wish
0: I would have known, man. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I mean, that's like that, good God, that eight foot Rattlesnake that we found on the cattle drive, and and the the, the header rider shot the thing, and I'm just like, Ugh. God, you know how much Reptile Gardens would have paid for that thing?
3: <laughs> wow! Uh, in,
1: in... Oh, uh, no, them... oh, of what? What? Is... Oh, um, uh, Joel just said that he's caught two of those water snakes in the Rapid City area. Really? Yeah. yeah
0: if you catch them let me know because yeah. uh, i would well, really like to keep nerodia <laughs> uh, <laughs> so. and that would be a nice way to keep it actually because yeah. then i could be locality and yay, yeah localities dude li- no. live i don't, bearers don't even know for them. the win what was that live bears for the win yeah that too i haven't ever yeah, I, I haven't bred snakes. Oh, we're
1: dude. full of we're full of waterways here in the Black Hills, and it's you know we we encounter all sorts of things. I mean, we saw a king snake that wasn't supposed to be here, and put it on the perp record. And you know, and, and then that, that Colorado snake that I found in our yard, you know, the red line snake. It's like, oh my god! You know, I wish I had my cell phone with me when I was out gardening. It's, and and I, I backed up because it just shocked me. I I'd never seen a, a snake with that much red on it before.
2: that's incredible that's awesome and
1: yeah i i didn't you know had had i known what it was you know it, uh, immediately i would have grabbed it but i, I didn't know what it was so i didn't grab it you know it's like okay. <laughs> yeah you know and because i, I joe and i live really close to reptile gardens we're really careful about it. yeah right, <laughs> right. Uh, hopefully nothing got away <laughs>
2: Well, that's, that that's actually good. a great segue is another thing that most venomous people don't consider is if your ball python gets loose in your house, it's really not that big a deal. If your rattlesnake gets loose in your house, you got a big problem. So in Florida, one of the strictest rules is is room containment. So you cannot have a freestanding facility that does not have a double door entry. And at the same time, if it's in a home, it cannot be a home. It cannot be a room that has outside access. So it has to be an inner room in the house. Um, You have to have door sweeps on the doors. You have to have screened off air vents. You have to have, you know, window locks. so The window can't be opened. It has to be completely sealed. The room has to be deemed escape, escape proof by inspection. And I think that that Mm. is a great thing that even if it's not a law in your area, that is a must for anyone who plans on keeping venomous is that making sure that the enclosure is escape proof and the room should be escape proof
3: yeah i can understand that
1: yeah
2: <laughs> yeah that's it's a just big like, security that. risk oh yeah you
1: know? yeah well it's you know because we live so close to there and and we're not used to seeing snakes we're not used to seeing you know so we take precautions oh yeah then, when I ran into the house and looked it up, I'm like, oh, geez, I could have grabbed it. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, so I'm just hoping I'll encounter it again.
2: Well, uh, about a year and a half ago, I started a YouTube channel that I need to get back on. Um, it's called Venomous Etiquette Videos. And most people don't even know it exists. Uh, there's only two episodes on there. And the point of the channel was to basically talk about the stuff I've been talking about with you guys tonight for people that don't have that venue locally to them, or they just want to learn more, or they want to learn a different perspective or different way of looking at things. And I'm in the process of making episode three. It's been like a year since I put the last one out, but the, the whole point of venomous mentorship is not necessarily to learn how to do it, but to get different perspectives on how to do it. And I always tell people, if you have one mentor that's awesome, that's great, work with that mentor. But you should have two or three or four other mentors. And even though they may not be as good as the first one or the second one, you're still getting other ideas. You're learning what not to do as well as what to do. And so if I can put those videos out, Venom Exchange, or excuse me, Venomous Etiquette videos on YouTube, and it helps someone in the slightest bit, that's the whole point of why I made them. I mean, I think there's only like 50 people have viewed it. You know, it's nothing crazy but I did put them out there and I can, I want to continue to put them out there just so that people can get a look into how I do things and a look into another aspect or another venue or or avenue of going about it.
1: So in Florida, when they, you say that um, they have to get 1000 hours um, with, when you're, when you're getting a Raptor um, license, um, you have to stick with one master Falconer. Right. Um, Right. and I'm just, and I, I'm just wondering, do you, uh, a person seeking this 1000 hours, can they go from having several mentors? To oh get yeah,
2: the- absolutely. Yeah. And and a lot of people do that. You know, they may do one night with me, they'll do one night with, you know, Bob and one night with Sally and, and, and that way they've got their 15 or 20 hours for the week. And it's not all at one facility. At the same time, you want to have a diverse selection of animals to work with. Uh, I'm pretty sure. I don't know if there's an actual number of species required, but you're required to put a list of all the species that you've worked with when you apply for your permit. If you've only got five snakes on there, or five species, or five genera on there, they're going to reject it. They're going to be like, "Look, you don't have enough experience. You worked. Oh. You worked with three three snakes for two years. That's not. That's not real. So." Oh
1: uh so my my question was um you you go to um you go to say i i want this permit they give you this paperwork and then so then they have you on file that you're seeking this or you just no. get the experience first and oh, then no. you go
2: you 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 don't apply for anything you start learning and logging your own hours and oh. back in the day we would have a composition book and the, you you had two you had two thought process to this either a each student or each apprentice or each intern had their own composition book and they that would they were responsible for their composition book or if you wanted to in addition to that you could have a facility book in which case everyone would sign in for the day and put their hours and like what species they work with but that can be a little meticulous a little tedious um now we have computers we have excel spreadsheets and graphs and copy and paste god bless it right and That makes life way simpler because you are doing a lot of copy and pasting. However, if you just fudge it and you fake it and you just copy and paste a bunch of crap, they're going to know, especially when you say, oh, I worked with boom slangs at Phil's house from 2020 to 2023. And they go, well, Phil doesn't have any boom slangs on registration. So you're a liar. (laughs) You know what I mean? Things like that. Um, Yeah.
1: Do, do you have to have the your supervisor, so to speak, that person, um, initially every bit of your entries so that they know you're not fudging it? No. You got another witness? No. You
2: know? <clears throat> no. But any mentor who leaves their student or intern alone to do what they want to do, um, the people are going to get mad. I don't care. They're foolish because at yeah. the oh, same yeah. time, not only am I supervising them for their well-being, I'm supervising them for my well-being, both on a liability level, as well as my own personal safety, because I don't know what they're doing in the room, God forbid something gets loose, God forbid something happens, and at the same time, as much as I'm teaching them, they're teaching me, because I'm learning more about how different people do different things, how different people learn different things, how different people view and see different things, and to me that's fascinating. So uh, I'm learning as much about the person I'm training as they are from what I'm training them. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so I got a, that springs up a question. So when you're in burning these things into your head, then is, is everyone doing these things slightly differently? Sure. In their own, in their own way, essentially. So everyone's got their kind of own style of doing it, but it's the same kind of general
2: rules. Yes yeah okay yeah and at the same time like excuse me i got a a dendrobates in my throat um there's a little herbert humor there right uh i will never judge someone for their technique providing that it works out safely and correctly in the the long run right um i had a friend of mine who got hours and he did this thing with his elbow when he was taking a snake out he would like go limp in his right hand and i'd be like dude what's with the saggy elbow like you're going to lose control you're going to you're going to lose that snake and he's like i don't know man i just just held my elbow as i was like no it's not so every single time he did it i would take my snake hook and i would tap his elbow and not like not like to be painful i wasn't hitting him or anything but i would tap his elbow just enough for him to know oh no i'm doing saggy elbow i need to correct it and now that Eventually, so many times of me just touching his elbow with the tip of a snake hook, he finally fixed it and now he's good. Um, or I would say across the room, like your elbow's sagging, you know, and he would go, Oh, okay, and he'd fix it, right? <laughs> um, but things like that are for his benefit because if I just let him do it that way, it's going to cause an issue, something is going to happen. I know that sounds completely asinine because we're on a podcast and we're not visually seeing it in person, but when you've got a Eight foot ashes spinning cobra and it's you know as thick as your wrist and his elbow is sagging that snake hook's going to dip it's going to bow god forbid the aluminum shaft takes any kind of um, uh, uh, fracture indentation from just use it compromises the integrity of the shaft it's going to snap so he needs to be on his game and have that tricep muscle doing what it's supposed to be doing so that way things don't go wrong things like that Mm
1: i'm gonna have a nightmare over you know bringing bringing up that timber rattler
3: Nah, you're good you're
0: good (laughs) so for someone who who is out in the middle of nowhere like your like your podcast listener who's looking for a mentor (laughs) right (laughs) um i can't say i'm in the middle of nowhere reptile gardens is right there
4: yeah
0: <laughs> that, anyway true. so like the podcast listener that you last it off the we beaten path about. yeah yeah yes yeah it's and texas is huge so probably literally like in the middle of nowhere <laughs> uh <laughs> uh do you think can mentorship be done long distance sure
2: sure absolutely really? is it is it gonna be as is it gonna be as easy as standing next to the person? No. But we have supercomputers in our pockets. We have video chat. You know, I'm I'm video chatting with you people right now and you're 3000 miles away from me, right? Yep. There's no reason why you and I can't have regular conversations and I show you some stuff and you show me some stuff and you find another friend in Texas, and you find another friend in Pennsylvania, and you find another friend in Arizona, and we all collaborate and get Matt up to speed, so to speak. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's no reason why that can't happen. Would it be ideal if you came over my house every Tuesday? Hell yeah! But we work with what we got. We make the best of it. You know right. that's the that's the beauty of of the of this technological age. As much as we want to throw the phone across the room and all that stupid TikTok dances. I can FaceTime you and show you how to double hook a Gaboon viper. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah.
2: So.
1: Okay. Or just or just get a second job at Reptile Gardens. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: Exactly.
0: That'd be a long drive yeah. for I wouldn't get paid. That <laughs> e- e- if they paid me, I wouldn't get paid cuz I'd have to drive there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah i'm only 50 miles away but
2: well and i was telling you that that guy that guy who um, had that was I, I can't remember if i was telling you or somebody else but i had an individual as a listener of the show who hit me up and was like look man i live far away from from mentors the mentors that i got sketch me out
0: yeah that that's what i was relating back to oh yeah yeah i forgot okay. sorry sorry
2: it's been a long day um i wound up doing some facetimes with him some video chat with him where like I'm showing him like how to hold the hook and like positions of the hand, positions of the forearm, that kind of stuff. And then uh, he went up having some Morelia and I was like, look man, you can practice on Morelia, but there's no venomous snake shy of certain protobothrops that are gonna act like Morelia because they're so strong and they wanna hold on to everything. You're literally just fighting yourself. I said, you're gonna have a, a better time training with your hook with the TV remote control than you are with your, you know, carbon Python. Um, and that's just the thing is, I'm willing to help people as much as I can, and I think that you should still go about trying, even though we're not sitting next to each other, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that makes complete sense. And, and in situations where you, you really can't find people to mentor, you the the only way to actually probably gain experience is by doing it and reaching out and finding people to help you along the way yeah. yeah and and i'm sure there's a whole bunch of people that that have learned like that i think you're super special in like having the experience you have with underground and and just like literally growing up and living in the hobby yeah and in in a, in a big part of the hobby yeah. you know like
2: yeah so i'll tell, I'll tell you a story so I, after Underground, I was the venomous guy at Strictly Reptiles for a few years. And the way that Strictly had the venomous room at the time, depending on import shipments and some of the captive brick collections that they would buy, there would be anywhere from 50 to, say, 300 snakes in the room. And And everything is lethal. And at the time when I started, the way that they had the shelving set up is... Envision a conventional rack like you'd have for Colubrids or Ball Pythons or what have you. However, each tub has a lid that just sits on top with no latches. And the only thing keeping the lid shut is the tub above it or the next shelf. So every single time you had to take that tub out, you couldn't just take out one. You had to take out at least two. And now you have to put a weight or something on top of the lid of the other one or an empty tub in its place as a placeholder to keep that lid shut. And no one taught me how to do this. I was just on my my own. And I was like, man, how am I going to do this? And (laughs) I learned that I would take a neonate snake hook and I would use a neonate snake hook to draw the bottom tub out. Like, let's say there's two, right? Draw the bottom tub out, okay? I would then take my left hand, put my index, or put my middle finger on top of the lid, my thumb on the bottom like this. Then I would take the, my okay. other hand, grab the bottom tub, slide it out, lower that one, place this one down to my side on the table, then take an empty one, slide an empty one in, and now go back to that one that I took out before the snake had the wherewithal to pop the lid off.
3: Okay.
2: And so, <laughs> and so no one taught me this, right? So I had to figure this out. And I'm not trying to sound like you know God's gift to snake tubs at all. I'm just no. using this example to say that you can do it. You can learn. You can learn your way to do it and you can adapt to make it better. However, the risks are that much more present because no one's showing you a right and wrong way to do it. Does that make sense? Yeah. And Complete. I've I've had a lot of scary calls, man. I've had a lot of mishaps because people didn't teach me the right way to do something. And I did it the way that I thought it was best and it backfired. And I was lucky enough to have the, the tutelage that I had at the time was enough to save me from those scenarios where had I just gone into it blind turkey, I would have been messed up. So I think like what you're doing, you're looking for a mentor you're doing your homework you're doing a lot of googling reading some books watching some videos that's great but i'll also say as much as youtube is a blessing it is also a curse because there is a lot of bad venomous handling on youtube i,
0: I find myself uh i i've been thinking about this the past few days i feel like i i feel like i'm gonna be like one of the last old school guys when i get to become an old school guy like the last of that generation it's good man that's like you know i, I bones weren't a thing i mean they barely were but like <laughs> you had to have a bag you know yeah <laughs> you know so i'm one of the last
1: yeah <laughs> it's gonna be well uh, since you're up there spearfish you know don't they have a herp cult uh, a herp department at the university up there you know what- um
0: yeah he he does, and he did. Uh, he wrote a paper in I think 2004 on the red bellied snake, ringneck yeah. snake, red bellied ringneck. Uh, the would've... one little locality of the same thing that the East Coast has.
1: Yeah, no, I, um, I reach out to him. I
0: think they're still doing research on it. I, I still think they're going out and doing field field collection stuff. Yeah, I, uh, I... and it would be nice to get him on the show because I. I that would be a snake that i i mentioned it to bill i would love to get them in the hobby because they're super super tiny and like like how can you be scared of a snake that's 16 inches long
2: talking about the red belly <laughs> swamp snakes
0: you, the red belly um yeah just the red belly snakes from Are the east scared? coast no not a racer
2: yeah it's it's, um, it's one of the it's, it's an aquatic species right
0: no well maybe semi okay Storeria, Storeria, Storeria. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Um. The Black Hills red bellied snake. Oh, that's cool. I never heard of that. They're like, they're like black, bright red belly. They're similar to like the decay snake. And then, and then Stororia is. They have them on the East Coast too. But I think there's a guy on the East Coast who got him going. I think I heard Owen talking about a guy at Hamburg once, uh, and he was breeding slugs in order to make that oh, happen. Oh, wow. So while I do care that much, <sighs> I do have snakes because they're a light workload. Of course. And I have a whole different <laughs> workload going on <laughs> besides the snake thing. So Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I want to breed slugs, but they're super cool. Yeah. Like, that's awesome. How can you be scared of a 16 inch little worm? Well, you know, at, that's like as an a, adult.
2: Uh, at one point um, at Strictly, we had gotten in Atheris hispida, the hairy bush viper, mm. and they're predominantly a slug eating species of arboreal viper. Okay. Well, I wasn't going to get slugs. So, you know, I was working at Strictly and they had southern green tree frogs. Every day, guys would come in with bottle like two liter bottles full of green tree frogs so let me try it and it worked and that tree viper loved eating green tree frogs but then i realized man i can't keep just catching and buying green tree frogs and i went up selling it which i regret nowadays because they're so rare i don't think there's any in the country anymore but just because it eats slugs doesn't mean that it's solely going to be a pain in the neck does that make sense
0: (laughs) yeah so no i i get that and and maybe this year i'll try especially yeah now that i have a podcast and i have commitments and
2: sure
4: sure
0: you know yeah yeah uh maybe this it's year a po- I'll try. podcast
2: project and i mean yeah. and, and again don't don't take advice from me because i have a, a handful of f- f- fossorial stuff that doesn't eat anything and i'm this close to yeah. biting the bullet and buying reptilinks just to try it so
0: oh man if you were close i'd just pitch in because I've got that Eastern Racer, the or yeah, the Eastern yellow bellied racer. Uh, if the only... the pet store the pet store ninety miles away has frog reptilinks. Oh,
2: see that's what I need too.
0: <clears throat> yeah, that's what I need too. Yeah. Uh but with Jay wanting to sell all the bull snakes and get get rid of that whole collection, I I don't really
4: <laughs> like i yeah, care about yeah. the
0: racer it's cool but it can go back outside it's fine
4: <laughs> <laughs> there you go <laughs> uh
0: so i think that might happen anyway
4: yeah.
0: um hmm, 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 hmm. well do you have any more venomous questions peggy i do we're
2: gonna have to schedule <laughs> more <laughs> <laughs> <'cause-> <laughs> i know i i see i feel like <laughs> uh it's I love uh, by the way, thank you guys so much for letting me come on and be a guest. It means the world no, no
0: thank you for coming and uh, Honored. i i i'm thank thank you for listening' Cause I know that you don't get much time to listen like myself, so yeah, man, the fact that you're going back and trying to catch up and you're almost caught up that means that means a ton so thank you,
2: dude. of course, of course, my pleasure it l- literally is my pleasure it's my r- ride to work right now, so um, awesome but i, I also i I get jumbled because there's so much I want to bring up and talk about. I feel like I'm rambling <laughs> oh, very, oh. very long winded. I'm not used to being the one talking so much. <laughs> oh. no, <it's,
1: laughs> no, I, those I,
2: are the guests that are the best.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I I, yeah. Just yeah, throw it at us because there's so much <laughs> to learn. I mean, I'm just, yeah. Um,
2: well, if I, I can give, it. if I can give anyone venomous advice is three parts. Do your homework, be as safe as you think you possibly can be. And if your gut tells you it's wrong, if it feels wrong, it probably is. And that's just a, that's just a big thing is if you see somebody do something with a snake and you're like, and they're like, yeah, you just pick them up by the tail and do the, and you're like, that doesn't, it uh, doesn't seem good. It probably is not. So. Yeah.
1: And Joe and I really have to watch it because you know we go all over the Black Hills and with our dogs on line, you know we don't let them run because of the snakes. Yeah. You know we have the great prairie and the timber rantlers and and we're just really being cautious, you know, um, after that one experience. And uh, you know, um, you know, it's it's just. Uh, I, as much as how often that we've moved rattlesnakes off the road, as another car was coming, you know, we're telling him to stop, 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 and you know, and, and I, I let Joel handle it with his tripod, and uh, you know, and it's you know, we have to get a, a better system, you know, because we're yeah. out there all the time. You
2: know? And they they make really really long snake hooks. I mean, fifty, sixty inch snake hooks, which would yeah. be. Very difficult to use in a captive setting. But if you're right. just using it to scoot one across the road, spend yeah. the fifty or a hundred dollars and leave it in the trunk. You know, yeah. I um I'm kind of a, a what's the word I'm looking for? I'm trying to be politically correct on this one. I'm um I'm a gear junkie. I love gear and I love equipment and I have, you know, backpacks that I don't use, but I bought them because they're badass and I've got probably more snake hooks than any one person should ever need. And in the trunk of my car at any given time, I've probably got four or five different types of snake handling equipment. And there's, it's always, there's always a snake hook. In fact, I keep my, uh, so Chris Woodcock of Venom Life Gear was kind enough to let me come over his house when we had the magazine and do a whole article on how they make their snake hooks. And he actually let me custom make my own, design of hook in terms of how i wanted the snake head or excuse me how i wanted the snake hook head and i have that literally it rides shotgun with me in the front seat of my car you know mm-hmm. my fiance cool. sits there she goes move your stupid hook um <laughs> so there's there's no reason why you can't buy a 40 or a 50 inch hook and just leave it in the trunk and then when you yeah. and your husband are leaving the sunset and you see that beautiful gorgeous bright green prairie just slithering across the asphalt just use that hook and scoot them Know distance is yeah. your friend.
1: Yeah, we, we yeah, and Very and because much. it's a cleaner thing to wipe off rather than you know a, yeah. a, a bit you know a per- periscoping tripod. Right, right. It's safer about having something that the venom can just be wiped sure. off. So much
2: yeah, I mean it's it anodized aluminum with a with a golf putter rubber handle, so you just hit it with the garden hose and you're good to go.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Uh,
1: well, well thank you so much oh, thank for, you guys. Uh, uh, the information is you know very helpful for those of us who spend a lot of time out in the field yeah,
2: of course of course and, uh, i'm gonna, uh, I'm, gonna I'm gonna we're gonna do some more field herbing stuff with Nipper on venom exchange radio. um oh. we have a lot of we have a lot of guests lined up. It's just a lot of them are international and like trying to get the time zones right and schedules, and he's crazy busy and I'm crazy busy and you know, I got one guy in uh, in the Middle East who is really, really big on field herping and uh, wildlife rehabilitation. But his town that he lives in it is intermittent electricity; the government oh. shuts it off. So he's like, "Oh, I got a memo from the government that you know I'll have power this Saturday. Let's do it." So trying to like schedule stuff like that. But wow. we're definitely gonna hit more field herping stuff because it is becoming more popular. The people like us that are keeping these amazing animals in captivity, we want to see them in the wild. We want to see where they come from. We want to learn their natural history. So I definitely think that we're gonna try and do more as that evolves for lack of a better word. And I know I talked to the Podfather about doing some some herping gear type episodes too. So hopefully we'll have that coming out in the near future yeah. and uh can there, I go from that there?
0: would be a good idea. Yeah.
2: I, probably, I hope I didn't just give away a trade secret. So yeah,
0: wow. yeah. That it's it'll be okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh, Justin keeps trying to talk me into buying this dang king snake.
2: (laughs) See, Justin has this problem where he gets a somebody gives him a snake. It's meaner than sin. It bites him, it annoys him. He then gives it to another friend, and it's the most puppy dog snake you've ever played with. I think I think this cow king is probably the fourth or fifth snake that this has happened so i i almost want him to give it to you so that way you can be like no nah, man it's it's fine look
0: <laughs> so oh man all my snakes hate me man that's good
2: it's probably because i don't feed them. no that's fine you're doing a good job keep them spunky
0: yeah no yeah the bull snakes especially i and you know i don't know if this is true this is completely anecdotal but I keep my bull snakes above my ball pythons in tubs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and my bull snakes are very, very hissy. And the ball pythons and the corn snake that I got were never hissy until they were put by, that bull, by the bull snakes. So now every single snake I have is a little bit cranky or at least knows how to be. And I don't know why. Probably because I have bull snakes. It's all in your head, man. It's all right. in I don't head. know about that.
2: My turtle. I don't know
0: about that. I've never heard a ball python hiss in a ball before, but I've
2: you know, been bit by ball pythons more than we most other things.
0: <laughs> uh, I've been bit by a couple of things. But, um, I I just if it looks cranky, I'll just not. <laughs>
2: what, what were we going to say, Peg?
1: Well, I i bet my turtles hiss at me too. So I mean, it you know when you're re- reach in there to. Take them out, put them in a feed tub, you know, <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> the cat will flip backwards, like I didn't expect that to hiss at me, <laughs> well,
2: it's like i I love it when captive turtles come after their owner because they want to get fed, and like they they'll just bite anything, fingers, toes, whatever's in front of them, it's adorable, yeah.
1: <laughs> adorable yeah it it is a
2: little screaming little turtle,
1: <laughs> <sighs> oh, it's been fun, it's, it has, uh, yeah. I- I gotta gotta catch your your field herping, because boy, Joel and I need to really dig into
2: that more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if you and I, I know that you guys aren't keeping venomous, but if you not to selfless plug my plug myself here, but venomous etiquette videos on YouTube, I feel like both videos that are up there, there's a lot that people can get from it, even in like the harmless realm, in terms of just snake keeping and. Containment and protocol, and it's just worth taking a look at. So, yeah
1: for, for for those of us who don't want to have a snake show up in the shower or the bathtub, you know, it's very helpful.
2: Exactly, exactly.
1: <laughs> I mean, you know, here in South Dakota, if your snake gets out, it's going to crawl in bed with you where it's warm. So, <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, it's very true, very true.
1: <laughs> it's <heavy. laughs> it was only a garter snake, so but whatever.
2: yeah. But anyway. well, so.
0: My closing question is If you could keep anything, and, and you have to be breeding it too, it, and anything, it doesn't have to be a reptile. No laws required, no size, space, anything. If you could have one thing on planet Earth that you have a group breeding of,
2: what would it be? I literally spent hours thinking about this because I knew you were going to ask me this. <laughs> and I. I want to come up with something that is outlandish and, you know, uh, pipe dream zoo stuff whatever. I mean, like I want to say Tasmanian tiger like, you know what I mean? Like I I yeah. want to, you know, dodo bird. Like, come on, it's awesome.
0: Something crazy. Um,
2: yeah. But I I feel like I can't. Like I feel like I'm I feel like I'm letting my animals down what if I pick something that's not them, like it's so it's so difficult. Um, there are certain species that I'll probably never get to work with or even see in the wild unless I go to extreme, like extreme circumstances to do it. Um, and and some of them, I almost don't want to do it because it's it's almost not worth it to take them out of the wild. You know, yeah. um, one snake that immediately comes to mind is the Indominus Islands cobra, Naja sagittifera. They are incredibly gorgeous as as babies and then when they grow up they're just a really ugly monocle cobra (laughs) but when they're babies they're like a slate blue base color with neon blue bands and a neon blue monocle on their hood like crazy iridescent neon blue um so like
1: (laughs) growth so they stay
2: that way i wish so like they're uh the and Andaman Islands are under in terms of wildlife specifically are under government of India and they're extremely protected. You can't get any animals in or out of the Andaman Islands. So unless I do some harrowing plane ticket stuff, I'm probably never going to see one. So like that would be one species that comes to mind. Um a species that I've been trying to find for a really really long time is Walternesia egyptica, which is the uh the Negev black snake or the Israeli black snake. It is a species of elapid, you know, cousins to the cobras that lives in the Negev Desert in southern Israel and into the Sinai Peninsula. Um it has super toxic venom and it has a little faint hood that it opens but it doesn't stand up like a true cobra. Um but they're a extremely elusive rare desert species and they are jet black, basically like a matte black indigo snake with some of the craziest venom on the planet. Um, but they're incredibly elusive. They're incredibly rare. The Israeli government protects them extensively. So you can't get them out of Israel every once in a while. Somebody brings one out of the Sinai Peninsula, you know, out of Egypt, but that would be another species that I would really, really love to get my hands on. Um, I don't know. It's, it's a tough question. Cause like I said, I'm, I'm torn. I want to say thylacine, you know, and that's just not going to happen. <laughs> so I don't know. I guess, I, I guess I'll pick thylacine just to. You know <laughs> be that guy
0: <laughs> but a couple of rare cobras i like that answer yeah, though yeah and i mean you know the last two were fish so yeah beat fish <laughs> yeah. <laughs> poor bill
2: yeah yeah yeah. exactly <laughs> poor uh, bill. Yeah, both... oh. and you know what's gonna happen is we're gonna sign off on this and i'm gonna think of like 10 more species that i should oh, have yeah. picked you know <laughs> famous last words oh oh man man oh man <laughs>
3: actually
2: warning. you know what i just thought of it and this is this is a little bit of a curveball but not too much ancanthophus well's which is the uh pilbara death adder oh okay that huh? snake is unobtainium and i really feel like oh man now i'm thinking of other australian species um, that's <laughs> there's a ton of yeah them. I know that that snake would uh, all right let's do this I'll pick a snake and I'll, I'll pick snake and lizard right snake as much as I love the other two I talked about we're gonna go with the, the pill death adder and then there's this locality of rough knobtail gecko that comes from the Cape York in Australia that is black and white zebra it's you know, nephros asper black and white zebra Google Cape York rough knobtail coolest gecko on the planet hands down so there you go those those are them
3: yeah well yeah.
0: see and you do a whole bunch more than venomous i just you you do knob tails yeah. and you have you have you yeah you do other things yeah, too man, got, so we kind of <laughs> <laughs> we kind of just touched on venomous here but we i i would i think it'd be fun to do uh you and justin yeah and uh, do an Ephorus episode, a knobtail episode. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Talk about little geckos.
1: Um, cutey things that aren't so hard to hold.
0: <laughs> yeah, <right? laughs> yes. Things that make better pets. Wow. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> we have a lot of pet listeners, I'm thinking. That's fine. So. <laughs> That's good. I love it.
1: Yeah. We, we need a venomous episode because almost every hiker I know runs into timber or prairie rattlers. So, yeah. Uh, it's, um, a, a good to know especially when they they don't rattle and you're sitting there eating your sandwich and all of a sudden you, you hear this kind of like this sliding sound and you look down and there's there's one right by your you know the the rock you're sitting on and you jump up and it follows you as you leap up yeah that happened to me too <laughs> yeah. and
2: so you shouldn't have jumped you should have just sat there
1: uh, see, you know, this is good.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and that was yeah. a movie set I was working on. And, and, that, oh, wow. and so then the ranch owner goes, you know, like, was that a snake you just jumped from? I go, Yeah. And he goes, God, we can't have that around the music, you know, the, the, this movie crew. And so then, you know, and then he kills it.
2: Oh, jeez.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I've run into rattlesnakes so often. And he just like, you know, just scoot it. But, you know, he's, he, because he has so many movie crews coming to his ranch to film, and that's how they dealt with all the snakes that showed up. So,
2: yeah, they got to hire Matt to shoot them all, scoot them all away.
1: Yeah, yeah, thing. for sure. Yeah,
2: I think there's people way more qualified in the area. <laughs> don't, don't, don't you, uh, don't you talk gilly yourself, man. A hundred dollars an hour, get a snake hook, you're good Holy to go. Holy cow! A hundred dollars an hour in this area is—it's a, it's a movie. Is they can afford movie. it
1: on a movie. They'll pay that. Yeah. No, you, yeah you called the snake wrangler
0: so peggy can it's i make a hundred dollars an hour install in your pool because <laughs> if that's plausible
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh man <laughs> I, my husband, no no <laughs>
0: oh um, we let um our
1: go here we're just really going well, <laughs> well we're having I, fun
0: it's good I, I think yeah well it's more of the listeners i think
2: Yeah, they could they could fast forward,
0: yeah, (laughs) or be gone by now. One or the other. Stick around for the fun times. (laughs) I said it in our first episode: a podcast doesn't actually like get its flow going until about forty-five minutes in.
3: Yeah, so
0: sure, like truly, and I've noticed it even more now that I'm editing them and listening back. And now a podcast really doesn't get the flow going until about forty-five minutes in. Sometimes it's thirty sometimes it's sometimes it's 45 sometimes it's an hour it's when the guest shows up you know like last week um <laughs>
1: well when, when I, I think it would start off faster if we had you know al Bosch send us that beer he's promised us you know oh and, man you know,
0: well oh, have- we are gonna have to rag on him so hard <laughs> yeah, next week we have
1: five <laughs> time before we start filming and boy we're gonna hit it right as you know as we go <laughs>
0: let take the edge off Bill, I swear to God, if I win something in that drawing tomorrow, you better text me because I won't be able to listen. I'll be on the on the phone with Al Bosch making me a
3: podcast. (laughs) Nice. nice. So
0: I can't watch. I would love to. Peggy might. Peggy might get annoyed. At least I know I can leave Peggy and Al. I could just leave them and be like, "Okay, guys, I'm out this week. Yeah. And they could be they could be just fine as long as I handled the back end of it and made sure StreamYard was going. You yeah. know, I just put the headphone up every now and then, make sure yeah. it's on topic. You know?
1: Sure, <laughs> sure. That's
3: great.
2: That's
0: great.
1: Yeah, sure.
0: <laughs> what was that?
1: I go, yeah, okay, sure,
0: yeah. oh,
1: <laughs> yeah, like uh, 70s.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why. <laughs> uh, and I... Uh, I didn't quite realize when Peggy said like Al's like a like a he's in the likes anyway of <laughs> of the Barkers and Peter call he didn't import anything and get it in but he hung out with them he oh, wrote yeah. a book with them like yeah. he's friends with all these people like he knows them all and oh, yeah uh, he lived next door to Pete
1: <laughs>
0: uh, yep. yeah uh that's a man I want to meet man
1: but I, 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 oh. when we when we talk to him next time, I gotta ask him if he was there that day. we pulled the snake off of um uh it was Carrie. no Carrie Carrie, not Kelly Kelly was my supervisor um yeah uh Carrie, that uh i'm I'm trying to think of because that was the summer that um Elle was pop, you know working with the forest service with us too, so uh, I, I bet he had to have been there that day. So, yeah. It's pretty it was, cool. Yeah, like, So, where was he when I had to pull the snake off?
4: <laughs> <laughs> right, right.
1: We have done that. So, yeah, maybe he was off on another transect. <laughs> but, yeah. Nice. But, well, Phil, thanks for coming on again. As thank we- you for having me. <laughs> yes.
0: Thank you yeah, exactly. so much for coming on. We yeah, appreciate it.
1: We're definitely going to be watching your more of your venomous podcast so that I just get yeah. more familiar with as we encounter them in our field
2: sure sure and if you have any questions contact me anytime i'm always around
1: great thank you
2: of course of course
1: and, and i'm sorry
2: it took me so long to pick the favorite animal no worries, no it, worries. Added, it, was- it,
0: it added 10 minutes to the conversation which helps the podcast <laughs> so you
1: know see i'm a behavioral biologist too so, you know so I, I like to hear how people's minds work on know, like and, and the reasoning. Well, I like this one because of that. And I like this one because of this. You because know, that tells us a lot of backstory.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Long story short, Western Hog knows we'll go for the jugular, so mind your children.
4: <laughs>
2: <Okay>. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. There's yeah. your intro your intro clip right there.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's gonna be part of the part of the reel on Instagram. <laughs> oh great!
2: <Wonderful>. You're welcome. <laughs> thanks, so thanks. I gotta got
1: head out here, guys. So
2: yeah, head no, right.
1: Thanks again.
2: Thank you so much.
3: Okay. Well.